2: Oh I
3: wow! Mean, I botched that, that one. I'm I'm i the audience now. Uh, you drop hi, a ball. Everybody.
2: <laughs> drop a ball. All yeah. right. Oh sad. And, um, <laughs> and our and our storyteller for this week is Mr. TJ2 the Deuce. That's, that's, how, you do that's how you do it. That's how you do it. That's.
3: You taking notes, honey? Uh, absolutely. I'd like to. I will subscribe to your newsletter. Sir. All right.
2: So, what are you guys drinking? We'll start
3: with you. I'm drinking the. I, I I like this more than I thought I would. This is the Stone Scorpion Bowl IPA. Did I get that for you? Yes, you did. Okay, good for me. Mm-hmm. And then, uh,
4: T, what are you? What are you drinking? I am having a uh, Highland Gaelic
3: Ale. Ooh, good choice.
2: And. Uh, T.J. T- was telling us that he's doing his best impression of me by working all the jobs.
3: <laughs> They're doing
4: all the jobs.
2: By the time this comes out, uh, my job will be coming to a close. Uh, so if you guys, I will go ahead and say this now, if you guys are interested in auditioning for American Idol, we still have dates that are available. So if you want to apply, simply email me an inquiry at Lindley.Ehrlich at americanidol.com. That's L-Y-N-L-Y dot e h r l i c h at americanidol.com
4: and you gonna have a job
2: no more i mean i like come september 23rd for the first time all year <laughs> long i will be sans job which means i'll also only have like six other jobs so which means
4: you're, which, you which know, yeah which means you'll be a damn freeloader <laughs> yeah
3: you, you and your six jobs the <laughs> You and your, uh, then you ain't gonna have but five jobs
4: yeah if you guys excuse you me If you want to get anywhere in america you got to have a work ethic
3: damn
2: it if you guys excuse me we've set a timer for an hour for this episode because yes, i did. gotta go get, i gotta go get start my shift at chili's it's
3: like that, Simps- <laughs> that simpsons episode where he's working multiple jobs you ever see it? he lays down in the bed the alarm goes off he gets it and just gets right back up
4: yep. yeah and the chest to <laughs> get up really early in the morning to to you know dress like a pillow to dance in front of mattress world that's important. Nothing Nothing uh, makes me want to go buy a mattress quite like a big, goofy, grinning, dumbass pill and dance on the other <laughs> end. You know what is The
2: pill is not going to dance on its own, okay? It's Somebody not. Do
4: hey, that. hey, so real quick. Um, now This is um, uh, the longest episode of the series, so we're not going to have a discussion point or ranking or list at the end like we do on all the others. However, our uh, dear friend Penelope did send in her list of the top 10 Tom Petty videos that was absent. Uh, from part three um and she's cool so we're gonna uh we're gonna accept her late uh late assignment and not mark her down for it but we'll uh read that at the end of part five um also we had a, a listener named Thea who I believe is from Colorado hello Thea. west of the Rockies west of the Rockies you're on the air <laughs> did anybody with me ever wonder like art Bailey had the west of the rockies line and the east of the rockies line and the international wild, line and wild card
2: the, the wild guard oh yeah and
4: i'm like well if you got east of the rockies west of the rockies and international it sounds like you got all your bases covered what the hell is the wild card
3: <laughs> bermuda triangle maybe i mean maybe. i guess maybe yeah. if
4: you're in a i would say like if you're in a, a on a satellite in geosynchronous <laughs> orbit over australia or some shit i don't know <laughs> Atlantis. Um, but she sent her um, Wilbur set list, and we'll read that on the next one, too. And she is a Tom Petty Uber fan, uh, oh, nice. much as I am. She has a lot of really cool memorabilia. She's met Mike Campbell. Oh, wow. And if, if I, if I uh, read what she said right, if, or if I'm re- remembering it correctly, because I haven't slept and I'm drinking, um, she took guitar lessons when she was a kid from Gilby Clark
3: whoa that is awesome from guns N' roses is that the one asia met at the whiskey go-go i want to say yes i feel like she hung out with gilby clark that tracks doesn't it that tracks
2: for asia yes it does shout out to one of my best friends asia ferretti we love you we miss you she's in the keys right now swimming with dolphins swimming with dolphins that's not a euphemism i didn't kill her no she she actually actually uh... is swimming with the dolphins she's a trainer right yeah. yes and so but um, I,
3: I
4: think i think this proves that we have really cool listeners they're oh, incredibly Yeah,
2: incredibly cool listeners dude like these are the kind of people that i always wanted like to be friends with in high
3: school and they're way more talented than we are
2: yeah like, every
3: way possible well i
2: mean i'm I, I mean they might be talent more talented than you guys but i make soap so there you go oh yeah
3: i have no discernible talent that I is, is actually fact.
4: It sounds like Penelope and Thea should have a podcast, and we should listen to it. I know. Yes. Yes. The seems to go talent-wise, it seems extremely backwards. You
2: guys, Yeah, yeah. you guys do a podcast, please. Yeah, we, we, will, some, we will listen to it. We will support you. For sure. <laughs> All right, okay. well, let's get back into uh, Mr. Tom Petty. Where did we left right. off last?
4: I think we left off uh, right after Let Me Up, I've Had Enough, which is... Right before Tom takes a solo venture. Excellent. So we'll we'll go ahead and start this one. It was October 7th, 2017. More than 90,000 fans stood and sang I Won't Back Down right along with Tom Petty in a jam-packed stadium. Hmm. Under normal circumstances, that wouldn't be an unusual sight. As Tom continued to build his legendary career, the concert crowds got larger. And dedicated fans always sang along with their favorite songs. This wasn't normal circumstances, though. Keep this scene in mind because it will be important later on. Now, uh, at the end of our last episode, we actually left off with an arsonist burning down Tom's house. He had left for a lengthy tour, family in tow, with Bob Dylan. He met Jeff Lynne and really got to know George Harrison for the first time during that tour. His daughter, Adria, said the tour was, quote, regenerative, and that allowed uh, it allowed him to meet some musical soulmates. Both would figure prominently into his immediate and long-term futures. The tour ended, and Tom was back home in Los Angeles. Now, there are two different versions of what exactly happened next. Per Tom's recollection, he was driving around listening to Harrison's Cloud Nine album as he went to a drugstore to buy a baseball glove. He pulled up to a stoplight and saw Jeff Lynn in the next car. He waved. They both, both pulled over and started talking. Lynn says he was driving around L.A., pulled up to a stoplight, and saw Tom standing or walking nearby. One waved at the other, and they started talking. However it happened, they definitely ended up chatting. Petty was a huge fan of Cloud9, particularly the production for which Lynn was responsible. Quote, he said, would you fancy writing a song together, Lynn recalled. Now, I'm going to guess Tom probably didn't actually phrase it that way. Maybe Jeff did. Uh, uh, no, but he, he says that, you know, Jeff says that Tom says, would you fancy writing a song together? Can you hear Tom? Hey, um, would you uh, fancy writing a song together? <laughs> I don't hear those words coming out of Tom's mouth. But, Correct, yeah. Yeah, But but that was certainly the sentiment. He had planned to relax for a bit as the Heartbreakers took a bit of a break, really for the first time in about 12 years but also said he always felt like he needed to be working on a project. So Lynn, who was in town to work with Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys on some songs, hung out with Teddy, and within a day, they had written Free Fallen and You're So Bad. Seriously? That's not fair.
2: That's really not fair.
4: Yeah. Keep in mind that these uh, two guys were also in the Wilburys who wrote and
3: recorded nine songs in nine days. Which is just bonkers. I mean, For their first me, album, which is a freaking masterpiece. If you gave me nine days, I don't think I'd come up with a chord. <laughs>
4: I have, I do good to, to poop once every nine days, much less write two songs that good. Um, as the songs kept coming, they went to the home of heartbreaker guitarist Mike Campbell to make use of his garage studio. Tom really had not planned on making a solo album per se. He hadn't planned anything, really. But it soon became clear that that's what he was doing. Friends would stop by and pitch in, including every member of the Traveling Wilburys aside from Bob Dylan and every heartbreaker besides drummer Stan Lynch. Hmm. Tom, per one interview I watched, <clears throat> sort of reasoned that it didn't make any sense to record the songs, then call the heartbreakers together and re record all of them. So it just kind of became a solo album.
5: Hmm.
4: Initially, the other heartbreakers, other than maybe Campbell, who was heavily involved in the project, were upset at the idea of Tom making a solo record. Ben Montinch said that when he told other people about his disappointment, two separate individuals told him it actually presented a great opportunity for him to go to rehab. Yeah, he did. And he said, quote, that album saved my life. Bassist Howie Epstein was initially bothered, but said it dawned on him that all Tom was actually doing was branching out and working with some other people, which members of the Heartbreakers had done for some time. Lynch, who we've mentioned previously, Tom often butted heads with, said he didn't particularly like some of the songs on Tom's record, including Free Falling, by the way. But he felt like he was in a cover band when they were incorporated into future Heartbreaker set lists. Tom said Lynn kept telling him that he had to leave to return to London, but quote, I kept convincing him to stay one more week and work on one more track. As we discussed in our traveling Wilbury episode, the recording process was actually interrupted by the formation of the supergroup, which knocked out an album in nine days. Some artists came in and out as well. Randy Newman stopped by Campbell's garage, as did Del Shannon at various times.
2: Oh, there's our, oh, wow. there's, our there's our Randy Newman.
3: Yep. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, our Randy Newman reference of the podcast is that a thing now? No, that's not a thing. Oh, okay. That's... Sorry. I... If
4: we could not have that be a thing, I would really appreciate it. Uh, yeah. I do
2: not need to be trying to find a spider web of Manfred Mann's Earth Band and. Uh,
3: I want you to hold both those names in mind for our next. Come series. on! I'm not kidding. you
2: are not making oh you sing. Uh, I, I not you sing. I'm not making you sing,
3: but this thing will happen. <laughs>
4: Cannot wait. But yes, Dell Shannon and Randy Newman both stopped by Mike Campbell's garage. that the, They were recording. Uh, Shannon was working on a new record that Lynn would produce and that Petty and Campbell would be major contributors to as well. Campbell actually marveled at how adept Lynn was in his somewhat primitive 24-track analog studio. Adria Petty called him a true quote, recording artist in that he was masterful at capturing the sounds he was looking for. Campbell said he learned a lot from previous producer Jimmy Ivine and would from future producer Rick Rubin as well, but that no one taught him more about the recording process ever than Jeff Lynne.
3: And it's interesting because we always peg Jeff Lynne as the fifth wheel in the Wilburys, but it sounds like in the studio, he's the guy you want.
2: No, Jeff, Jeff Lynne is,
4: yeah. Lynn is a wizard. He's He's, on- a, he's a wizard. First of all, he's he, he's a good singer. He's a good guitar player. He's a good songwriter. But in, in the studio, just think about in a, in a, a, I think I guess an episode or two back when we went through all the stuff that he produced in this one little
3: stretch. Yeah, if, it, was if it was good enough for George. It was good enough
4: for George. He basically had his fingerprints on every album that came out between about nineteen eighty seven and nineteen ninety
3: five. with the exception of anything by Bob Dylan, correct? Uh, right. <laughs> he, he did not produce He did't
4: produce Bob. Now, unlike the other two, Iveen and Reuben, Jeff Lynn, of course, was actually a musician himself and showed Campbell how to go about capturing specific sounds and then piecing them together. He also marveled at how quickly Lynn was able to do so. Now, if you're a little bit of an analog recording nerd like I am, go find Rick Rubin's broken record podcast, when he had Mike Campbell as a guest, because he explains in greater detail that I'm going to go into here some of the stuff that Lynn did, but one of them, the only thing I, there was a lot of track stacking, there was a lot of condensing this sound and this sound and this sound into uh, one track to, to spree up more room for the, for the vocals and stuff like that, it, 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 but it was bouncing stuff from this tape to that tape to this tape to that tape and overdubbing them and play them at the same time and re rerecord them. The only thing I want to mention is that, that Campbell said it kind of took him aback was when the time came to record the percussion. He did not. He is not a live in the studio, live on the floor recording guy. He he mm-hmm. likes to piece things together. But when it came time to record percussion, he didn't have the drummer come in and just and play the drum parts. He told him like, OK, all right, uh, right. All right. We're going to do the drums now. I just want you to play the bass drum. And so the person goes through. Puts so puts the sticks down and just sits there and thumps that bass drum every time it comes up in the song and he goes great great all right we got that now i want you to hit the snare just just do the snare part oh wow so now he's sitting he's sitting there and he just you know he just plays that the snare all right great we got that excellent now i want you to play the tom toms all the tom tom parts for the song just just play those so the, the, so the, you got to think the drummer a drummer is so used to playing fully that he's probably still moving his hands as though he's hitting everything, but he's, but but he's actually only hitting the tom-tom. It's like and isolating thinking, vocal
3: tracks, yeah. right,
4: right, right. And then he goes, "All right, great. So now, last thing, let's let's uh, do the hi hat." And so just, so he recorded all those on on different tapes, and played them all at the same time, so that you got the full drum part, the the entire the whole, all of the drums for the, for the, for the song are there. He he would, you know, sit. they would actually, this is analog. So you got out the grease pencils and you mark spots and you wound them back with your finger and cut actual tape with a razor blade. But, but he, so he got them all synced up to where they, they were all ready to play at the same time. He played all of them at the same time and recorded them on a new tape. Now you might wonder why in the hell would you go to all that trouble? And here's how, here's how Mike explained it. Nothing gets in the sonic space of anything else. That's
3: all clean every, sound.
4: Every pop of the, of the snare is distinct and clean. Every time he thumps that bass drum, it's distinct and stands alone. That's why his the, the productions that he did sounded perfect. They had that really clean, perfect sound. That's part
3: of how he got it. And it's amazing how you wouldn't think of that level of detail, but that those little things make such a difference and again it's my mind doesn't even, doesn't even work doesn't even work even thought about it. well
2: it was like you know think about when someone like Brian Wilson was creating music or when, right. when the guys from Queen would collaborate and drop quarters in on the piano and things like that and stick and stick
4: microphones in coffee cans
2: (laughs) yeah yeah or like dusty didn't record you don't have to say you love me in the studio she was hanging over a balcony (laughs) to get Mm -hmm. reverb like it's they're on a completely different level when they figure out okay what what trick can i pull
4: to get right and it's
2: incredible
4: and, it makes, and it's not, again, this is this is pre-digital. I mean, now you would, I, I imagine you just click a mouse and you get the sound. You had to work for it then.
3: It makes me feel bad about all the Jeff Lynn comments I threw out last, you know, last episode where I was saying, you know, traveling Willberries were four musicians and a cartoon bear. So I feel a little <laughs> bad about them. Uh, so, so sorry, <laughs> Jeff Lynn. If you're listening he to does,
4: this, I, I'm eating crow does, on this one. He does look like Fozzie Bear, let's just be honest. That, that, that's unavoidable. Now, Tom's original plan was to call this album he was working on Songs from the Garage, <laughs> which Denny Cordell at his record label hated. Tom isn't sure where he came up with Full Moon Fever, saying, quote, maybe there was a full moon that night or something. <laughs> he, was really, he was really proud of the finished product, and he took it to his label, MCA. An A&R man, upon hearing an album that featured I Won't Back Down, Free Fallen. He You're said, so I, don't hear, I don't hear a single. Running down a dream and other great tracks pronounced, I don't hear a single. <laughs> Good guess. Thank you. <laughs> I want you to think about this, and this sounds so ridiculous in retrospect. The album was shelved. Wow, yes. what? And Tom was instructed to go back in the studio and work on it. Get out of yes. here. That set in motion a major change for Tom. Shortly thereafter, he, Lynn, and George Harrison were at a small party at the home of Mo Austin, a Warner Brothers executive. They got the guitars out, and at the urging of his friends, Tom played Free Fallen. Someone shouted, quote, that's a hit. But Tom told them his label sure didn't think so, as they wouldn't even release it. Quote, I'll effing release it, Austin reportedly said.
3: (laughs) Can you imagine being at a party and suddenly George Harrison and Tom Petty take out guitars and start playing? yeah How don't right. know, i i get invited to those parties yeah
4: how do i end up there oh uh, you know what it's not that i end up at ones I, mm-hmm. I end up at ones held in the shed where somebody named bubba like drops his pants and craps on the floor or something i mean like i don't i don't go to cool parties with tom come Penny on
2: mr britain would not appreciate that sentiment i know
4: of- other people <laughs> it was oh, kind of, sort, of a, sort of a generic where i'm from name i just <laughs>
2: Well, we could call him Cleve, or or Cletus, or Earl, or Barnaby. Barnaby is not a. What I mean, that's, you have Not a southern you name, you idiot. You <laughs> haven't.
4: You you haven't lived. You haven't lived until you've, you know, been to a party in South Carolina where somebody drinks moonshine, stands naked on the diving board of an empty swimming pool, and lights the fire. <laughs>
3: That is an damage right there. If, if if the South Carolina Tourism Board needed a spot, take it. Take it and run with it. Uh, yeah, don't,
4: don't worry about the barbecue trail. Don't go to Charleston. Just,
3: yeah. Drunk RedNet liking their farts on a diving board.
4: I mean,
2: that's a good Friday night. Yeah, it is. I don't know what you guys are talking about.
3: And it kills the Skeeters.
4: I'm so tired. <laughs> i'm so dumb and punchy anyway so tom inked a secret deal with warner brothers records the contract would be kept in a vault and not spoken of until tom had fulfilled his contractual obligations with mca now there was a change at mca shortly thereafter and the new regime loved full Moon fever and they released it and that proved to be a very wise move as the album hit number three on the billboard albums chart outsold every Heartbreakers record by going five times platinum, produced three top 40 pop hits and six top 10 hits on the rock charts. Jeez. Now there are a couple of songs on the album I'd rather play personally, but I feel like we'd be very into too cute territory if we didn't play probably Tom's biggest, most played and most endearing song. So we're going to do that. Here is Tom Petty and Free Falling.
6: A good girl, loves her mama, loves Jesus in America too. She's a good girl, it's crazy about Elvis, loves horses, and her boyfriend too, and this along. bad boy because i don't even miss her i'm a bad boy for breaking her heart
4: What a fantastic song!
2: It, it's one of the best songs ever put to tape. I mean, I just—I won't say it's in my top ten, although I do. I—I I, I truly love Tom Petty. I will say that that top ten part, like that top ten, is taken up by the Wilburys. So,
4: fair.
2: I would say yeah. that that song's probably in my top thirty songs of all time.
4: Yeah, that—that's to me almost American songbook material now.
3: Yep. Can, can i offer a personal fun fact here okay. sure <laughs> fun fact i have in fact jumped out of an airplane remember you oh saw my that gosh.
2: and the video was too free uh,
3: yes now
2: oh hang on uh, sorry now
3: when i jumped out of the airplane one quick factoid is i jumped out at the time with the person who held the guinness book of world records for most jumps don kilner who's passed away but they did do he, a video did he did, he, he did not die while diving now okay. he just he was an old guy okay And uh, it was a video that they took of you jumping out of the plane. And there were like five songs you could pick from. And I think this was the obvious choice. So my video is forever etched with Tom Petty's Free Fallen.
4: Fantastic. Yep. Yep. Uh, Now, Tom told Billboard that song started as a joke. (laughs) He made up the first verse to, quote, amuse Jeff. I thought it was amusing. At some point, Lynn leaned over and said, Free Fallen. Nah. Tom nah. Fin- Tom finished the song that night, and they recorded it the next day. Mike Campbell recollected on Rick Rubin's Broken Record podcast: they started working on it at 10 a.m. one morning and were completely finished by 6 p.m. One day, no, in his in no. his analog 24-track garage studio, stop Young, it. Eight hours.
3: Spread the talent around, guys. Come
4: on. Yeah, really. Stop hogging it. ass. In retrospect. Petty said he actually didn't know how good the song I Won't Back Down was since it was, quote, very naked, straightforward, and lacked a metaphor of any kind. He said, quote, I don't know if I like being read that easily. It is generally believed that Tom directed the song at whoever burned down his house, by the way. Campbell nailed the absolutely otherworldly minute and a half guitar solo at the end of Running Down a Dream in one take.
3: He just did it and they, that was it?
4: Yup quote he looked like a stone statue he didn't even blink or move Tom told (laughs) billboard magazine
2: well you know there there are those like stories out there of people being able to do things in one take i think the most famous for me is probably celine dion she did the she didn't even want to do my heart will go on and so they were like could you just do a scratch track for us and she was like, all right, fine. So the actual song that you hear is not only a scratch track, which was meant to go to a different singer, but it's also the first take. I thought you were going with something wow. else. Which one? The I can do the song, darling. Well, no, that wasn't done in oh, one, take. one take. That was, that was one take? I thought that was one take. That was not okay. one take. But he still did it. He still did it. Yeah.
4: yeah. That's, he yeah that he did it was pretty amazing.
2: Yeah. I thought it was one take. That, okay. that was not one. He did not do it in one take. The, the reason why he ordered the vodka was because it was like his fifth take. Got it. So yeah. if you guys are wondering what we're talking about, we're actually talking about Freddie Mercury. So you can go back to our series on Freddie Mercury and listen to all five of those episodes yeah, or month, and, month of find, Mercury. and find out what that was about.
4: Yeah. Tom actually ended up hating the album's final song, Zombie Zoo. And it's probably my least favorite song on the album, but I, I don't think it's bad. But he told Rolling Stone, quote, what frame of mind produced that? I don't understand. <laughs> so he almost disowned it. <laughs> yeah, he he is apparently really doesn't like it. Still, he said Full Moon Favor was the most enjoyable record he ever worked on. And can I offer you a fun fact?
3: Fun fact! Fun fact!
4: Have either of you ever listened to the CD version of Full Moon Favor? Yes. I feel like okay. you made me about halfway through it. You hear a message from Tom Petty saying that uh that they're going to pause so that those listening on records or cassettes can. Get up or sit down and flip the tape or the record over. Have you? Do you remember that? He says, "Attention, CD listeners."
2: No, I don't. Okay. Have-
4: okay well, you hear barnyard noises in the background, like oinking and mooing and things like that. Credited with quote barnyard noises on the sort of hidden little track thing. Hello, CD listeners, is Del Shannon. What? Del Shannon provides the moos and oints and weenies that you hear in the
2: background.
4: row. <laughs> <laughs> That's
2: funny. Hey, Tia, hate to interrupt you, but we need to take a short break for our sponsors.
0: Does picking an outfit have you running a little too fashionably late? We get it. Great taste takes time. That's why Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery, has your back with the largest selection of beer, wine, and spirits delivered in under 60 minutes convenience never goes out of style so if you need to spend some extra time in the mirror instead of at the store download the drizzly app or go to drizzly.com that's d-r-i-z-l-y.com today and we are back
4: we are back to part four of the great tom petty in 1990 the wilburys released a second album as we talked about but the joy was likely tempered just a little bit dale shannon one of Tom's musical idols with whom he had become friends, sadly took his own life that same year. Tom and Jeff Lynn helped complete the album he was working on, the posthumously released Rock On. Around this time, Petty was working with another idol and friend and former Birds member Roger McGuinn. Now, the Birds were obviously a huge influence on Petty, and McGuinn noticed right away. The first time he heard American Girl, he actually thought it was a Birds song and said to himself, quote, I don't remember recording that. (laughs) <laughs> he did though covering the song about a year after its release which tom said quote stamped my passport <sighs> into the into the big time in peter bogdanovich's excellent documentary running down a dream there's a scene of tom and McGuinn in the studio as the latter worked on his comeback record back in rio sometime around late 1990 or early 1991 two a&r men walked in and handed McGuinn a song they wanted him to sing now, McGuinn was somewhat amenable to the idea, as he probably wanted to stay in the label's good graces as he tried to mount his comeback, but Tom took a look at the lyrics and absolutely lost his mind. He told the two in no uncertain terms that the song was, quote, shit. Huh. How did he really feel? Quote, are you getting kickbacks on this, he asked. He pronounced that, quote, I can smoke a joint and write two better lines than this. <laughs> He then asked the two, quote, do you know who this man is? When one of them said they knew it was Roger McGuinn, Tom shot shot back, quote, yeah, but do you know who this man is? Hmm. He was offended that someone he held in such high regard would be given such schlock to record. In retrospect, McGuinn said the song did suck, and he was glad Tom spoke out on his behalf. He ended up not recording the song. Now, a joint was likely involved as the two ended up writing a song called King of the Hill that did make the album, which hit number 44 on the Billboard album chart. Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers reconvened with Jeff Lynn serving as producer to record 1991's Into the Great Wide Oak. Nice. Now, they, they weren't the only band to do so that year, as 1991 is also not, uh, noteworthy for the reformation of, though it is not nearly as lauded or successful as that of the Heartbreakers, of
3: Manfred Mann's Earth Band.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
2: Can Can I try it? Can I try it?
3: Please,
4: <clears throat> sure,
2: please. Okay, you want to you want to lead me into it? Uh, I the, wanna, sorry, uh, d- okay. d- the the ladies and gentlemen.
3: Ladies and gentlemen, our federally mandated Manfred Mann's Earth Band reference of the podcast has been satisfied. I don't know how it's about that.
4: <laughs> it's yes, it, ladies and gentlemen, there it is.
3: It has been satisfied.
4: And, and Dobby, Dobby,
2: has satisfied, Dobby has satisfied the Manfred Man's Earth Band <laughs> reference of the podcast. I'm really Mr. wondering a, a,
3: an alternate universe where Manfred Man is part of the Harry's Fire World. <laughs> was that better? That was amazing. <laughs> thanks. And thanks for finding us on Facebook, Manfred Man's yep. We appreciate it.
2: <laughs> Thank you, Manfred Man.
4: <laughs> yes, I don't think we've actually mentioned that this audience we did when we visited with our friends on the yeah uh-huh podcast
0: <laughs> oh yeah you want to
4: break that news to people who oh, don't know yet that
2: was okay, awesome yeah cheese and crackers middle of the episode sorry guys to break up the tom petty episode but uh i go on like you can see the post i believe on our instagram and our facebook yep. if i'm not mistaken but i it was like a sunday morning i'm you know i go to the restroom like i normally do flipping through the facebook you know while nature's doing its thing And I see a notification and it's somebody wants to invite you to a group (laughs) and I click on the notification and it says Manford man's earth band would like (laughs) to invite you to the private Manford man's earth band group. And at that point I pooped.
3: Well, well, what happened was, is I was awoken from my blissful slumber by honey, you need to look at this. It was,
2: Will was like dead asleep, dead asleep. And, like, normally I let him sleep on the weekends because he's got to wake up super early. But I was like, honey, well, bear, bear. And I
3: think I looked at it, and my first reaction was, well, the jig is up."
2: <laughs> you weren't even yeah. mad at me for waking you up. I've Not
3: said for a long time that, you know,
4: there's there's a very fine line between running gag and defamation. And at some point, we were going to cross it. So, <laughs> it, and, so thankfully it. so, thankfully, it wasn't. Manfred Mann's attorneys would like to join a private group, so they'll know where to serve the papers.
3: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> decline, decline.
4: <laughs> yes. Okay. So anyway, so yes, so we we have now been invited to join a private Manfred Mann group <laughs> by Manfred Mann's Earth Band themselves, which we are happy about.
2: Thank you, Manfred Mann. So uh, this
4: album that that uh, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers were working on, upon. Uh, getting back together, would be the last album by the band to feature Stan Lynch on the drums, and the last album of new material Tom would produce for MCA. It went double platinum, it was well-received critically, and featured a couple of big hits in Learning to Fly, and the album's title track Into the Great Wide Open, which featured a brilliant video that starred yes. Tom's friend Johnny Depp, Faye Dunaway, Matt LeBlanc, China Phillips, and Terrence Trent Darby. Wish Depp said were... Dunaway, Deb said that Dunaway was practically schoolgirl giddy over getting to meet Tom, by the way, (laughs) there were, uh, there was two gunslingers, or that's one of the songs on the album, which is widely seen as a protest song against the first Gulf war, which had just started out in the cold is an absolute guitar scorcher, making some noise. And you and I will meet again are both excellent, but I actually want to play a different song from this one. It was released as a single, but it was not a hit oddly still it's one of my favorites and i'm the one that wrote like 80 pages for this podcast (laughs) so i'm damn well gonna play it if i want to so here's tom Petty and the heartbreakers with king's highway
6: when the time gets right i'm gonna trouble my love under a big old sky out in a field of green there's gotta be something left for us to that way.
4: Oh, hell yeah
2: can i just say the first time hearing that i really like it i like it a lot
4: i really really like it i don't want to end up in a room all alone don't want to end up someone that i don't even know he'll, tom tom is tom is is sneaky good at terms of a phrase oh songs. absolutely
3: his, yeah. his yeah. lyrics are what i would call deceptively simple
4: uh, but 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 also deceptively magnificent <laughs> exactly yeah
3: the, it's, it's, actually,
4: actually, it's not deceptive it's fairly flagrant they're they're yeah. magnificent yeah that's a great song from the end of the great wide open album there and the an album i open. always
3: forget about again between full moon fever and wildflowers it gets that, lost, that's the you. thing that's the thing that was tucked in between
4: <laughs> wilburys volume one Full Moon Favor, Wilbur's Volume 2, and then Wildflowers. It's kind of dropped right in the middle of all that, so it, you know, it gets a little glossed over. I actually
3: really, really like that album. Though. So I think the problem is, Tom, released some crappy albums. Come on, man. Put out something that sucks <laughs> so that we can... Yeah. Yeah. Put out a spaghetti um, incident or something. Uh, yeah, right. River of Where's drink. your Van Halen 3 or Cookie Push? <laughs> Don't you um, besmirch the good name of Cookie Puss. Cookie Puss now, smirches its own
4: name. <laughs> tensions were really starting to melt now between... Tom Petty, and drummer Stan Lynch. The drummer once said, quote, every band needs an asshole like every circus needs a clown, and I guess I'm it. (laughs) What a great quote. One documentary I watched said, that Lynch actually moved back to Florida without telling the rest of the band. (laughs) Now, Wikipedia says he didn't actually move back to Florida until after he left the Heartbreakers. However that happened, the band was supposed to play at the opening of Johnny Depp's Viper Room, but apparently Lynch didn't want to do it. Petty told him, quote, fine, we'll get Ringo to do it then. Nice. So Lynch did show up and play the gig, but Depp apparently didn't hear that story until much later and said as great as the show ended up being, he sort of wished that Ringo had played the drums with Tom Petty that night.
3: So are you saying they opened the Viper Room?
4: Right. Yeah. Oh, yes, yes. They they opened the Viper Room. That was the first concert at that venue. Wow. Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Lynch's last gig with the Heartbreakers was at the Bridge School Benefit Concert in California. He left after that citing personal and musical differences with Petty. He went on to work with the Eagles, Bob Dylan, the Mavericks, John Mellencamp, and a host of others. And he actually wrote the number one country hit back when for Tim McGraw. So he continued to to be very successful in music. Stan Lynch did? Yep, sure did. Huh. Oh, wow. To show now to show the kind of guy that Tom was, though, he invited Lynch to join the he and the Heartbreakers on stage when they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame.
3: Oh, classy. Yep.
4: Now, he would eventually be replaced full-time by Steve Ferroni, who had played or recorded with the likes of Eric Clapton, the Bee Gees, Chaka Khan, Aerosmith, and Rick James. Pietz. Anyone we've heard of?
3: I mean... Again, a few obscure indie artists
4: uh, <laughs> that, that struggled for uh, recognition and success. However, there was apparently one other person considered for the gig before they ended up hiring Ferroni.
3: Uh, Please tell me it's Claude, the ginseng drummer. Please tell me. Even once he became
4: a musician, Tom remained an avid music listener and fan. And he was particularly taken with Nirvana. Oh, wow. After the death of Kurt Cobain, Tom expressed great sadness, saying, quote, when one of his songs came on, it just hit you. It was so good. and And there won't be any more. He was really my favorite. And it just sort of leaves a big gap. When Nirvana disbanded after Cobain's death, Tom reached out to the band's drummer, Dave Grohl. Wow. In fact, Grohl did play with Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers on an episode of Saturday Night Live. Huh. Grohl told Howard Stern that Petty said, quote, it'd be a shame if this is the only time we get to do this. He said Tom eventually called and said if Grohl was into it, he could come out on the road with the band for a while and explain how they would make it work. So essentially, Tom invited Dave Grohl to join the Heartbreakers.
3: Wow, and and I think LD, you said Dave Grohl is one of your fam- favorite favorite uh, celebrities, right?
2: He like just is okay. Anybody who rick rolls the Westboro <laughs> Baptist Church is a good guy in my book. So. That's a good.
4: Bucket. That's a quality human being in and my book. And he
2: had he had ice the bucket. best ice bucket challenge other than Sir Patrick Stewart.
4: Stewart. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, as you can imagine, Grohl was flattered, but he said it would have been a very sad and emotional experience for him to be playing drums and to not have Kurt on stage with him. He had made the switch to guitar and was already working on demos for a new project that would turn into the Foo Fighters. He said Tom was, quote, cool and very down to earth in addition to, quote, being a badass. (laughs) now if you know much about tom you know that he was about to release a second solo album one that is largely considered career defining you'll likely be surprised then that i'm going to give it short shrift you're probably thinking wow you're super dumb but patience friends patience we'll come back to it later (laughs) that record was wildflowers and its Uh leadoff single was a huge hit called you don't know how it feels Uh now it's it's very hard to fathom as we sit here in 2021 but the line "Let's get to the point. Let's roll another joint." was actually considered controversial in 1994. Oh, MTV. Some radio, some radio stations played a version that dropped the word "joint" altogether, while others played one that ch- played one that changed the line to "Let's hit another joint," which I don't get how they squared in their minds that was less druggy than rolling a joint. Because if they say, if, I, if I'm rolling it, I might just uh, you know give it to somebody else. If I hitting it i am in fact smoking it
2: no i was actually thinking like let's hit another joint like a juke joint like it could mean like
4: it could mean a place as in visit a place hit a joint i suppose yeah mtv which had zero (laughs) problem with sex and violence had a big old stick up their ass about drugs so they took the word joint played it backwards and suddenly tom was hitting another george Engineer, <laughs> no, oh, God, yeah. I'll forget that. Tom said, Tom said he wasn't sure what a "norge was, but quote, "It sounded really wicked." <laughs> <laughs> so why don't we hear it as the man intended. Here's Tom solo on "You Don't Know How It Feels."
6: Let's get to the point. Let's roll another joint. Let's hit.
2: And we are back.
4: All um, right. Another, another classic. It does
3: not get weary. That song does not get weary.
4: Never tire of that one. Or, or hardly anything Tom's ever done. Before. Yeah, fair. Okay. In 1995, Tom would get to work with another one of his idols. And he and the Heartbreakers would, for the second time, become someone's backing band. Now, of course, he toured with Dylan. He and the Heartbreakers were Tom's band for a lengthy tour of Europe. But Johnny Cash had released his first Rick Rubin produced album a few years earlier, a stripped down acoustic affair. On its follow up, Unchained, Petty and the Heartbreakers were enlisted to be Cash's studio band. Jeez. Oh, now, wow. now they were already friends with Adria Petty, saying that Johnny and June Carter Cash frequently came to Tom Petty's concerts. Heartbreaker's bassist, Howie Epstein, actually ended up engaged to Cash's stepdaughter, Carleen Carter. And Mike Campbell had grown up, of course, listening to Johnny Cash almost constantly, as he was his dad's favorite artist. Quote, I always liked John. I was a bit in awe of him when I first met him. I think everybody is, Tom said. He also recalled that Cash was to have played at a, quote, Hoot Nanny in Gainesville in the early 60s, which Tom was excited about. About, however, he remembered it being reported that Cash was quote loopy and may have punched a cop and failed to appear at said Hoot Nanny. That 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 tracks. <laughs> yep.
2: Also, Rick- uh, are we sure it was a Hoot Nanny and not a Fandango or a hootnanny Jubilee? Hoot Nanny
4: is very specific. Maybe it was a hay- was it a hayride? Maybe. Ooh, uh, maybe. Oh oh oh! You know what? What if it was a Whirly Gig?
2: Oh wow! Or a
4: Jubilee. A Jubilee, mm-hmm. yeah.
2: Yeah. Or
3: an Orama of
2: any kind. Oh, man. If you have an Orama. A shindig or or an Orama.
4: Now, on Rick Rubin's Broken Record podcast, Tom's daughter, Adria, said her dad loved being just a member of the band and getting to play different instruments. She said he came home one day and enthused, quote, I got to be the bassist today. (laughs) like a little kid man, right now the man in black was starting to have some health problems with ruben recalling that he sometimes would suffer dizzy spells and tom recounted that after working for an hour or so that he would have to sit down and rest for a bit still he said cash was a very warm man and had a laugh that was quote conspiratorial uh-huh,
0: that what a is gr- a great
4: wow
2: that's
5: a gr-
4: sometimes cash would come up with songs but basically producer rick rubin would present songs to cash who ultimately had the final say on whether he was going to cut them and if it was going to make the record or not. And would you like a fun fact? Fun fact! Fun fact! One of the songs that Rick Rubin pitched and that was cut but has never seen the light of day to my knowledge Cookie Puss. Cash was Cash covering Robert Palmer's Addicted to Love. Oh, Oh my.
2: Someone find that. Yes,
4: please, unearth that. I I looked and looked. I don't think it's ever been released, but if that's still out there, if somebody could make it where I could hear it, I would really appreciate that. Oh, would I ever. Now, the sessions were mostly recorded live on the floor. They had a lot of spontaneity. When they were cutting the Leuven Brothers' song, The Drunkard's Plea, Cash said, quote, We need a Hammond organ on this. Tom, why don't you play it? It just needs to kind of have a churchy intro. Mm. Now, Ben Montage is sitting right there. (laughs) Tom, who really didn't play the instrument, said, oh, okay. And whatever he played actually did make the song. Ah. Did he have any experience playing a Hammond organ? I mean, Tom could play the piano.
3: Okay, so he had some connection. He uh,
4: He had some ability to sit on a bench and mash keys and make there be music.
2: Well, at that point, I could be a piano player. I mean, do you have to be good to be a piano player?
4: Can you just, like, bang
2: the keys? You kids? actually do. Yeah,
4: yeah, I think so. You can't fake yeah. it. But, but my it. point is that oh. he, he looked at Tom and said, hey, why don't you play me something churchy on that Hammond? Instead of looking at, you know, one of the best rock piano player in organ, <laughs> guy who plays sitting instrument. in the room. Yeah. Huh. Awkward. Yeah, hey. yeah. Whatever he was going through help-wise didn't impact his voice much then. Tom said, quote, he had a really nice, big, round voice. I've seen people sit in the control room and really try and make a singer sound good, but he just came across the mic like that. It was a beautiful sound. Now, there are two quick stories I want to share with you from those sessions. Tom said one day, Johnny and June went and sat at a nearby bus stop. Cash said very few people recognized him, but said, quote, we met lots of pretty interesting people so that's that's the kind of person johnny cash was (laughs) he's like i'm we're just gonna go sit at a bus stop for a while and just and just talk to folks and and he said very few of them recognized him but he he, he talked to lots of people and thought a lot of them were really interesting and nice on one occasion the tape machine in the studio actually broke during a song recording and tom said it was quote pretty hot i think that's um musician lingo for we were playing it good (laughs) yes they were recording and tom said it was pretty hot june (laughs) came in and told the room quote I think if we all sing a hymn, maybe God will fix the tape machine. So she instructed everyone to hold hands and sing a hymn. Quote, I swear, within minutes, the machine worked again, Tom said.
2: Ah, ah,
4: ah. Oh, I, I mean, June, June said God would fix
2: I mean, there are a couple people in the world that I'll listen to if they say God said something. One of them is June Carter. The other one's Dolly Parton.
4: That's fair. Yep. Now, Cash did cut one of Tom's songs on this album, that being Southern Accents. So it would make the most sense to play that one. Johnny Cash, in fact, said Southern Accents should replace Dixie as the Southern National Anthem. That's how much he, that's how highly he thought of that song. So Tom wrote it, John cut it. It would make sense to play that one. However, I'm not accused of having much sense. So let's just rock out to another one. This is an absolute scorcher. It is my favorite song on the Unchained album, which I love. This is Johnny Cash with Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers doing a cover of Soundgarden's Rusty Cage.
7: You wired me awake and hit me with the hand of broken nails. you tied my lead and pulled my chain to watch my blood begin to boil. But I'm gonna break, I'm gonna break my, gonna break my rusty cage and run. I'm gonna break, I'm gonna break my, gonna break my rusty cage and run. to break my rusty cane On your steel shore I'm gonna break I'm gonna break my I'm gonna break my rust
2: Are back
4: okay so will you're a huge sound garden fan and, and i know you uh, like tom petty and i know you like johnny cash you somehow had never heard that you said
3: i missed that and i feel terrible that i did because as you pointed out it's all things that i enjoy mashed together into one right that is a banger i love that <laughs> it's it's worthy
4: of beer beer <laughs> Yes, hooray, beer!
2: If, but to to the credit, even if the song was terrible, Will would have still had a beer.
3: Yeah, you could have played Cookie Puss, and I'd be like, beer,
2: beer. <laughs>
3: yeah,
4: it's great.
2: Yes.
3: Um, we
4: just played a minute and thirty-eight seconds of silence. Beer, beer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Beer. We weren't even recording. Beer. Yeah, here's, yeah. Here's, here's here's a here's some dr- uh, some uh, dr- German guy playing a tuba. Yeah, beer. Beer.
2: Okay, so here's the thing beer
3: yes yes
2: beer <laughs> do you, do you guys remember uh when when they used to do those great commercials for milk like yeah. it wasn't it wasn't any brand of milk it was just <laughs> milk can we get beer to sponsor this show uh, just,
4: beer. just beer like the just the general the general beer. thought and idea
3: just yes. barley, yeast, and hops. <laughs> it's sort of the platonic concept of beer. <laughs> yeah. Right. So yes, if there's any um, beer listening out there, uh, <laughs> please, I had, please sponsor I had a, us.
4: I had a beer earlier today that on the can it says a beer. <laughs> hey, it's truth in advertising, man. Mine <laughs> happens, there it is a
3: one pint and then it said a beer. Mine happens to have a, a B because it is a honey blonde ale. Mm-hmm which Mm -hmm. is delightful. uh,
2: Funny enough, I also just made bee soap. I made honey soap. Look look at that. It's the same with
3: honeycomb.
4: I am am somehow here in early August drinking a Shiner Oktoberfest.
3: Again, I got mad about that briefly, and then I realized, beer!
4: Well, see, I was walking through a, a, a store, and I do happen to be on vacation as we record this, and I'm seeing, like, pumpkin beers, and I'm seeing various Oktoberfests. and I'm like man this sucks. This is like them putting out Halloween candy the day after Easter ends or yeah. something. This is crass commercialism. This is cashing in on a fad. Holy crap, shout out Oktoberfest.
3: What was I thinking about? I ah, never mind.
4: Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty much how it went. As and that's uh, what I'm drinking now. Fantastic.
3: Anyway, yeah, back, back to that cover. That is really remarkable. And again, I It is great. Uh, it's, it's killer. It.
4: I love I've always loved that one. Uh, now, for his later album, Solitary Man, Cash would actually cover Tom's I Want Back Down. And I guess this qualifies as a fun fact. fun fact! On his signature cover of Hurt, Johnny Cash's, the piano part that swells toward the end of the song was played by Ben Montinch, which I might have already said, right. but I don't care.
2: It No, it, <laughs> it bears repeating because, man, that is <clears throat> like in every sense of the word, a banger.
4: Yes. And it just that that piano that just builds and builds a ding ding, and I think he's just playing one note over
3: and over and over. Didn't LD you say Trent Reznor basically surrendered the song? Oh yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. He will not perform it uh, uh, to the point where I I don't know if he's put it back in his repertoire or not. But like at one point he was like, "Nope, hands off. I it belongs to him now."
4: It's amazing. Yeah. Um, now after Johnny Cash died in two thousand three. Tom said he found a Christmas card that the man in black sent him many years before, where he called Tom quote, a good man to ride the river with. (laughs)
3: He said he
4: didn't know He said he didn't know exactly what that meant, but um, it seemed like something cool and Johnny cash said it. So he, he pretty well carried good man to ride the river with for the rest of his life. I like that. Um, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers released their own album in 1995 as well, this one being a six-disc box set called Playback. Wow. It had lots of the band's hits. It had some Mud Crutch songs, some B-sides, some unreleased work, and loads of covers the band had recorded, which we'll talk about later. There was also a little gem on there called Waiting for Tonight. Yes. Now, it was recorded sometime around the sessions for Full Moon Fever. According to a story from Billboard, Vicki Peterson of the Bangles said that Tom came to her and said, quote, this song needs something, help. So the Bangles, who were about to break up, by the way, were in the studio and provided background vocals. Mike Campbell said it was funny since they'd be chatting and laughing, but then suddenly when they were supposed to sing, they'd quiet down and nail it every time. Peterson had a huge appreciation for Petty, saying, quote, I felt ripped off that my high school years weren't as cool as my older sister's high school years. Then here's this guy playing a Rickenbacker 12 string and making hit music with it. A reminder that you can just play what you like and if it's real and it's true, sometimes it resonates with other people, she said. She had a band in high school and they would end shows with a, quote, warp seven speed power pop punk version of I Need to Know. (laughs) she said the entire band were quote just the nicest guys she said everything tom said was either quote hilarious or cutting she noted quote everything he did though was honest so let's hear that song that tom actually ended up disappointed did not get more attention and didn't actually end up on one of his albums from the box set playback here's tom petty and the heartbreakers with the bangles and waiting for tonight
6: Yeah, I'm fighting with my thoughts. Yeah, I'm gonna trust my intuition. I'm gonna hope I don't get lost.
3: long it's like
2: it's yes. so <laughs> yeah it is but we're
4: back all right so well i think this uh, question has to be stated since we just heard a song that did feature the bangles because ld dragged us through who who would she rather yes the wilburys or the highwaymen so um <laughs> just wondering go go spangles who you
3: got Uh i mean i think you uh, in previous conversations have brought up a very good point i feel like Susanna hoff and belinda carlisle almost cancel out that's actually cancel um, out. That's two,
4: two of my top five
3: ever, probably. So I, I think it depends on what I'm in the mood for. If, if I want kind of <laughs> something that's going to be a little more on the wild side, I'm going with the Go-Go's. Sure. Yeah. Because I don't
4: know if you've seen the video. But uh, I, yes, I
3: have. Yes. Um, if I want something a little more outlandish, I'm going, I'm going for the Go-Go's. Sure. I think, I, I think buying those probably
4: Bangles, for me. Yeah, it's close though. It's close, but it's close. It's very yeah. close. Um, okay, okay. So bangles I mean, are L seven.
2: Okay, here's the here's the deal. <laughs> if I've got to choose, I'm going Go Go's. You know why? Because I don't care what they look like. I just want to have a good time.
4: There you go. Well, they de- they could definitely party, but I think I think the Bengals were underrated partiers. I think
3: I don't know if they were underrated. It was the '80s, so
4: <laughs> yeah. I think they partied. I think they just plain old party. Yeah, uh, I, I, I can. Okay. Well, anyway, away from music, 1996 featured a pretty significant life moment for for uh, Tom Petty. He and wife Jane, whom he'd married in 1974 and with whom he had two children, divorced that year. There were times that he spoke glowingly of her. In a 1991 Rolling Stone interview, he said, quote, There were a lot of years when I just wasn't really around. And fortunately, Jane was strong enough to basically run the whole show by herself for a long time. He called her, quote, the most honest, frank person I've ever met. But he noted that there were times when, quote, we fought like effing Apaches. <laughs> wow. According to the biography written by Warren Zanes that I've referenced a few times. And that now again, this was claimed in this book, which, and it's very interesting. So Warren Zanes was a former musician who had uh, been in a band that opened for Tom Petty, became an author, asked if he could do a biography. And Tom said, yes, but he said, but it has to be an unauthorized biography. Okay. And the guy said, "And, and the guy said, well, you know, generally unauthorized biographies, people don't cooperate. And he said, oh, no, I'm going to cooperate. But I think that um, authorized biographies are complete BS because that <laughs> means I'm telling you, you can't write about this. You can't ask me about this. You can't talk to this person. He said, I don't want any." taint on this i want you to write it exactly the way you think it needs to be written so it needs to be unauthorized but i'll, I'll
5: keep you said taint
2: on this you said taint. Uh-huh. <laughs>
4: taint. and i tried to walk away from it you just can't you just can't leave taint that way but, yeah, no, okay. but basically basically his whole idea was yes i'll cooperate fully i'll let you talk to whoever you want to talk to whatever but it's it has to be unauthorized i want that on the cover unauthorized biography interesting yeah okay so but this is what is claimed in that book he said that quote jane would at one point call tom quote regularly obsessively and threaten suicide if he said he was hanging up What? yeah she would call him and basically it sounded like maybe scream or just go off and but that if she would tell him that if he hung up that she was going to kill herself that's what it sounded like wow tom would later claim that she had been verbally abusive to him as well and dealt with drug addiction unfortunately the latter problem would prove true with tom too sometime around 1996 tom started using heroin Mm. now he rarely discussed it after the fact and actually vacillated on whether to discuss it with zanes for the book that we just talked about because he was able to kick the habit he didn't want to impress on anyone younger people especially that it was something they could dabble with or quit whenever they wanted. He said the drug initially relieved depression that he was dealing with, but then compounded it. Quote You start losing your soul. You realize one day, shit, I've lost myself. I'm hanging out with people I wouldn't be seen with in a million years. I have to get out of this. I wanted to quit. Using heroin went against my grain. I didn't want to be enslaved to anything, so I was always trying to figure out how to do less, and then that wouldn't work. Tried to go cold turkey, and that wouldn't work. It's an ugly effing thing. Really ugly, Tom said.
3: Well, when you have a drug where coming off it has a symptom that could be death, I mean. Right. One, of,
4: one, of the, yeah. one of the possible side effects is that you just die <sighs> if you stop <sighs> once you start doing it. Yeah, that's, that's um, not a thing I would touch, No. unfortunately, a lot of people have. Now, right around this time, or right around the time all this was happening, Petty was approached by Ed Burns about writing a song for a movie that he had written and directed called She's the One. Tom was initially cool to the idea, but Burns sent him the movie, and since he was, quote, divorced and bored, he watched it. <laughs> he ended up writing three songs and sending them all to Burns, telling him he could pick whichever of the three he wanted to use for his movie. Burns wanted to use all of them. So Tom basically became the musical director of the film, He was charged with soliciting work from other artists, but he found that challenging since he knew no one would want to give him their best stuff, wanting to save them for their own albums. So much in the way Full Moon Fever wasn't really planned, the next Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers album, songs and music from She's the One wasn't either. It just sort of happened. He used a couple of songs that had not made wildflowers, covered Beck's asshole, and did a absolutely banging remake of lucinda williams's change the locks which made Uh um will the thrills will reset list
3: too good too good
4: yep now we're gonna steer away from all the wildflowers leftovers because we're gonna come back to those later i love grew up fast on that one which is one of The more forward songs about sex, I think, in Tom's catalog that I can think of. I can't think of another one that's as brazen as grew up past is. Supernatural Radio is great. The cover songs are terrific. But I, on on this rare occasion, am going to show some deference to my brethren on the other end of this Zoom call. One of Will the Thrill's absolute favorite Tom Petty songs is on this album. So we are going to play it. There are actually two versions of the song on the album, one of which plays during the opening credits of the movie and one of which plays in the closing credits. So we're gonna hear the opening credits version, also known as the circus version of
3: Walls. Nice.
2: We are back.
4: What an undeniably wonderful song that is.
2: I know we said this before, but really, did Tom Petty do anything that sucked? Because I'd, I'd really no. like to know if he did.
4: No, he didn't. If somebody could could bring that to our attention, uh, yeah, hit us up on our socials at uh, will give it then, because I, I don't know of any. I will say. I mean, my- there, are, there are some I like more than others, but like, I, but like sucked, like Cookie Puss for Van Halen 3. No, I don't think so. Yeah, nothing on that level. <laughs> I, love,
2: I love that, like, Cookie Puss has been, like, the worst thing we could have possibly ever listened to that, like that's, that like the, barom-
4: that's the, barom- the the like the new barometer of of suckitude. like is it cookie plus bad or is it just bad Yeah.
3: again <laughs> tom, tom petty bad is not the same it's like grating on a curve
5: yeah,
4: yeah. A, huge, a, a huge curve and that's one of those songs that has one of those those sneaky great lines that tom uh, has in, in in most everything he does where he says all around your island there's a barricade keeps out the danger, the danger that holds in
3: the pain yeah like damn tom
4: and, and <laughs> you know, i you, now frankly you're just showing off
3: when when he <laughs> passed obviously spoiler alert uh when tom petty passed away that was the first video i watched when I found out he had passed,
4: yeah, and it, the video is great too, with about a nanosecond long cameo from Jennifer Aniston.
3: But but it really um, feels if you watch that video that that's almost like his goodbye. Like it feels uh, very oddly
4: odd, nice. because odd his goodbye is a really long way away. Oh, it him. is, it is.
3: But there's something about the tone of it and the feel. It's and, a weird. It's a, yeah. it's very for that to be so splashed
4: with color and so much weird stuff happening. It's oddly somber.
3: Yeah, it's like a Fellini film.
4: I get that. I I kind of get that vibe. I do. Yeah. Um, Now, in 1999, Earl Petty, Tom's father, passed away. Now, we've already mentioned that Tom recounted in his biography that his father was abusive. It may have taken him a while to come to grips with that or to talk about it publicly. In earlier interviews, he would mention his dad occasionally. In one story, and I don't know the year, and that's probably a fairly um, important point, he noted that his dad had never been to one of his shows and that he wished he would have gone to one. He never went? Yeah, and I don't know what year we're talking about, but it's famous enough. He's further far enough along that he's famous enough along that they're writing stories about him. So you know, probably a a good ways into his career, Um, he would note in one interview shortly before his dad died that Earl had derided his career choice early on, but certainly supported his profession. "Quote: Every time I buy him a new Cadillac," which again, when you have the relationship with your dad that he had with his. That's an odd thing to say if he was actually doing that, you know? Yeah. Um, but obviously that's a lot to deal with in anybody's head. And, and you know, there's no, no way to know how one deals with it, I don't guess. But anyway, that year also saw the band release Echo, which would be the last collaboration that Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers would have with Rick Rubin. And the final one to feature Howie Epstein on bass. In fact, if you've seen the cover of Echo... You'll notice that he's the only member of the band not pictured. He apparently missed the photo shoot, for what it was worth. Really? We'll come back to him in a few minutes, and not in a good way, unfortunately. But Ruben said things were a bit more dark during the recording of this record, and it is probably not a coincidence that it was done during a period when Tom has admitted he was dealing with heroin addiction and his divorce. Um, Rick said that Tom didn't seem like himself, would often come into the studio walking with a cane and wearing dark glasses. Tom's daughter, Adria, said he, quote, was in a bad place at this point. Some critics actually dubbed this album a divorce record, as many songs seem to fit that theme. And the lead single was Free Girl Now, which screams I'm divorced. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you something. If you really go back and listen wildflowers is the i'm getting i'm about to get divorced record Hmm. and i think echo is the i'm having a hard time with things record if you if you go back know what he's dealing with and really listen to the songs and listen to what he's telling you in them
3: well to me room at the top is on echo isn't it it is sure now there's definitely some
4: there's definitely some i'm dealing with this not well right tinges to echo and that would be one of those um for what it's worth but i i actually think and you know, we could talk about this later but I, I i've always i kind of in retrospect now feel like wildflowers is really more emotionally accepting that his marriage is over if you listen to a lot of the songs but i, anyway. I can see
3: that yeah yeah
4: oh and uh, there aren't many in this little part yeah so but how about a fun fact fun fact um the lead single was uh free girl now which was the second song by a major artist released as a free download and i believe we covered who the first one was a few series ago did we not did david bowie not off, was he not the first artist to offer a song as a
3: free download was you too no, wasn't uh, it?
2: No, no david bowie was one of the first artists to embrace the digital the digital catalogs so
4: yeah, I but com- i would have sworn you told me you, you said that he he made a one of his one of, he was one of the first people to make a single available for free via download because I joke that, that back then everybody had like like dial up internet and it would have taken like six and a half days to
3: download.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't remember. I remember the whole digital thing. But yeah, I'd have
3: to go back yeah. and do it. I thought it was yeah. you actually that
4: did that. It, it may have been, but I, th- I was thinking uh, Bowie was among the first. But anyway, he made Free Girl Now available as a free download. Warner Brothers freaked out and they took it down after two days, which again, let's just be honest is about how long it would have taken to download that off of a dial-up modem in
3: 1999. Oh, yeah, we hear AOL, welcome.
4: (laughs) Uh, The album was certified gold within three weeks, hit the Billboard Top 10, and produced three songs to hit the Top 20 on the mainstream rock charts. In a retrospective piece on the album done by Ultimate Classic Rock, Tom admitted he was dealing with severe depression during the recording of Echo, that he'd withdrawn from society and had lived for a time in, quote, a little cabin. Additionally, Howie Epstein was quote disintegrating before our eyes. He called Room at the Top one of the most depressing songs ever written. And if you It's just, a sad song. You, it's a really sad song. Yeah. When he says that the part and you know, we talk about the, the the great turns of a phrase he has, but sometimes you don't have to turn a great phrase to, to punch somebody in the fields. Cause when he says, I love you, please love me, because I'm not so bad and I love you so Ugh. good lord
3: heart-wrenching yeah
4: damn tom
3: you That's ought not, not be
4: doing tom you ought not be doing this like that now
3: <laughs> come on you're saying um, don't do me like that yeah hell
2: <laughs> if you guys start um, doing this again i swear to god i'm gonna leave okay
3: <laughs> all right
4: fine um he said quote i think Ecto was probably the most scattered i've ever been i never played it I looked at the cover the other day, and there was a song or two on there I didn't recognize, Tom said. Oh, wow. After the lengthy tour on the record, he rarely played songs from it again. Though he said he eventually listened to the album again years later and decided, quote, damn, you know, this ain't that bad. I really, <laughs> really like it. <laughs> I actually love this album. It's, like, it's one of my favorites. Yeah, and I was torn... Up on I was torn on which song off of this one to play, but, um, you know, we're about to deal with some real heavy, sad stuff, so I'm going to skip room at the top, great as it is, and I think we're just going to go with "Swinging." Okay, LD, first of all, banger, great song, fantastic, love everything about it. You are the studied actor, director, documentarian, writer, filmmaker of this group. What in the hell is going on in that video? Because I have no clue.
2: (laughs) Um, You know, I genuinely think that it is just, it's, huh, it's there's a lot going on (laughs) i mean
4: tom's sitting in a diner tom's in a diner minding his own business drinking coffee and then two people are bumping uglies in a hotel room and people in suits bust in and throw the dude out the window and yeah but there's angels and the girls in a car wreck and like what
2: (laughs) it looks like it looks like okay so it looks like robin tooney's spirit uh is is one of the ones that's on like on looking after luke wilson dies Okay. So I I I'm trying to figure out what the interpretation would be for that. Like he was her heart, and once he was dead, you know.
4: But then I'm, she has a wreck within the angel. saber. her. Is it his angel? Is he might, the one of the angels that saves her? It, it or, might be. I wasn't
2: paying that close attention to the faces.
4: It's weird. That's my point.
2: It's, it, yeah, it is very strange. But it's you know what? It's so quintessential 1990s music video. Mm -hmm. explain to me what's going on in matchbox 20s 3am go ahead
4: um uh that dude Uh, bums a smoke off of him
2: marcy marcy's playground (laughs) sex and candy there's (laughs) Is uh, like you went there. Yeah, Mar- like if I don't mention Marcy's playground, who is tonight, Naja Surf for the full <laughs> hour.
4: Eve, Eve six. Harvey Danger, you're on the air.
2: <laughs> Big bad voodoo daddy for the full <laughs> hour.
3: Harry Poppin' Daddies are on the air. Squirrel nut zippers, go ahead, please.
4: Brian
2: Setzer's Orchestra.
3: We've had you on hold for Wait. a while.
2: Go ahead. Oh,
3: Brian Setzer. <laughs>
4: okay so we already alluded to the fact that things weren't right with basis howie epstein he was fighting a losing battle in the war that tom was thankfully able to win that being heroin addiction he was getting very thin he didn't look well and he was often sick in june of 2001 he and carlene carter his um, fiance were arrested in new mexico driving a stolen car a search of the vehicle turned up 2.9 Ounces of black tar heroin and quote a large amount of drug paraphernalia. Wow. In 2002, Howie Epstein was dismissed from the Heartbreakers. Tom and the rest of the band had tried to help Epstein get clean. They'd sent him to rehab and done all they could for him. But Tom said, quote, he was just degenerating on us to the point where we thought keeping Howie in the band was actually doing him more harm than getting rid of him. And my understanding is that it essentially got to the point he just couldn't play anymore. Wow that that's how far gone he was that he would go in the studio and he just he picked the thing up a bass up and he just couldn't play the thing that it, it was that bad his personal problems were vast and serious tom said on february 23rd howie epstein died from a heroin overdose he was just 47 years old wow tom said in a piece he wrote for rolling stone quote howie was never not a heartbreaker he just got to where he couldn't do it anymore On the 2002 album, The Last DJ, Tom and Mike Campbell did most of the bass work. Though near the end of the recording process, original Heartbreaker bass player Ron Blair rejoined the band after having run a women's bathing suit store for nearly 20 years. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. The Heartbreakers would not release another album for eight years, however. Tom did produce his final solo record in 2006, the gold release Highway Companion, which I was originally going to play a song from, but this episode got way long, so I had to cut it. Please go listen to Big Weekend. It's awesome. Around this time, Tom announced his retirement from doing interviews and touring, though he didn't actually follow through on either of those plans. (laughs) This album was a reunion with Jeff Lynne, that being uh, Highway Companion, with Tom and Mike Campbell also working on it from a production aspect. And again, it's really, really good. It's kind of the least heralded of his three solo records, but I really, really like it. And if you hadn't heard it in a while, go check it out. 2008 was a big year for two reasons. One, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers played the halftime show of Super Bowl 62. Will the Thrill will remember that one well, as it saw his beloved New York Giants upset the undefeated New England Patriots 17-14 in a game that included the miracle catch by David Tyree.
3: Yep, the helmet catch. The helmet catch. Yep,
4: the helmet catch. Mm-hmm. Also, I long not DePont- also, after being defunct for 32 years, Tom got Mudcrutch back together. Wow. He joked that it was, quote, a reunion no one actually asked for. <laughs> I think he's right about that. <laughs> but said um, he was asked about Mudcrutch in an interview and that that sort of planted a seed. Now, I, I do want to, to say up front, we've gotten a lot of feedback uh, on this Tom Petty series like a lot lot and the overwhelming majority of people we've heard from are very pro mud crutch very
3: yeah again the other we've encountered is pro jeff lynn so those two together are uh, certainly a surprise they, they were a surprise but you know i, I went back and and I, for some reason i had glazed
4: over mud crutch a little bit when they put the two records out i've gone back and listened to them now and i'm like why did i because they're really good Sorry, i don't i don't know why to me that was something i just kind of i was just kind of
3: like, eh. and that is that uh that like i know we had the southern rock debate i feel like mud crutch is southern rock
4: sure they're very southern rock but he said that planted a seed so he campbell tench tom ledden and randall marsh got back together and recorded the band's first ever album mud crutch they did a short tour mostly hitting smaller venues as Tom said, Mudcrutch Crutch, quote, had not earned the right to play stadiums. <laughs> the group released a second album, Mud Crutch 2, in 2016, which would actually be the last release of Tom's lifetime, believe it or not. Now, Tom is not a musician who is immediately thought of as an actor, but he did dabble a bit in that field as well. In the late 1970s, he was briefly featured in the movie FM and was in a film called Made in Heaven in 1987. That same year, his daughter, Adria, who is now a very respected director who's done videos for the likes of Beyonce and Coldplay, was pursuing acting. She was told that she should read for a new show on the fledgling Fox network. Hmm. Tom was apparently a fan of this show. He went with her to the audition and he ended up appearing as himself in multiple episodes of It's Gary Shandling Show.
3: Nice. Oh, Gary Shandling.
4: Yeah, I love Chandler. He and Chandler would become friends, and Tom would be featured on the final ever episode of Chandler's later program, The Larry Sanders Show. Uh, Larry Sanders show. In that episode, he got in a shoving and screaming match with both Greg Kinnear and Clint Black. <laughs>
2: There's three people that have never been in my kitchen. Wait, has Greg Kinnear been in
3: our kitchen? He, we have the best shot with Greg Kinnear, I think, of all three of them. Yeah, of all three, yeah. I think, yeah.
4: I I would also say, if you've never seen that, you can find it on YouTube. It's hysterically funny. (laughs) The the almost fight between Tom Petty, Greg Kinnear, and Clint Black is hysterical. (laughs) That sounds amazing. He had a larger role in Kevin Kevin Costner's 1997 film, The Postman. And in 2004, he began providing the voice for Elroy Lucky Kleinschmidt on the animated masterwork King of the Hill. (laughs) <laughs> his character was nicknamed Lucky because he slipped in a puddle of piss in a Costco bathroom, was injured, and received a large cash settlement. <laughs> he awesome. eventually, he eventually, his character eventually marries Luann and fathers a child with her named Gracie. When Mike Judge created the character of Lucky, he actually envisioned him as looking like, quote, Tom Petty without the success. <laughs>
3: Oh, wow. Why is that
4: so visceral? (laughs) In an interview with the Chicago Tribune, Judge said, quote, we thought, what if we try to get Tom Petty? And he was great. Just killed it at the table read. Then he said, anytime you want me to do it, I'll do it. Judge called Petty, quote, the nicest, most humble and unassuming rock star you could ever hope to meet.
3: I loved his appearance Uh, on SNL.
4: Of course, there was a musical element to his character as Lucky tamed with Johnny Redcorn and Evan McElston to form the heavy metal trio Big Mountain Fudge Cake. Can I tell you what? We've got a a small little snippet of one of their songs. Why don't we play that right now? Here we go. All
2: right. Maybe winning the award for shortest song ever played on this. I don't know. Egg Rate on Mojo was pretty short. And the uh, Mother's Pride was 30 seconds. (laughs) Mother's Pride.
5: There's a hole in my pocket where my money
6: should go. There's a
1: hole in my heart where you used to go. There's a
6: hole and
7: a hole and a hole. Big old hole. Let's get
4: the hell out of here. <laughs> Holy crap, I love the king of the hill. My judges is genius. genius. <laughs> oh, ladies and gentlemen, big mountain <laughs> of cake. cake. The cake don't sell out, man. My favorite <laughs> My favorite quote uh, from Lucky Schmidt was, me, I don't go to church. Church goes with me. I'm (laughs) worshiping when I'm drinking a beer, digging a hole, or fishing for (laughs) trout." That was my favorite. And, of course, Tom Petty also appeared on The Simpsons. And if you've never seen his appearance there, also available readily on the interwebs, you should go find it because you will laugh. You will pee yourself laughing at it. It's so funny. It is that good. So, what do y'all think? Hole in the pocket where my money should go?
3: Uh, brilliant. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's
4: uh I, It it's might a good be the best song we have
3: played in the history of the series. It's it's up there.
4: It's it's no Uncle Arthur, but it's pretty good near the top in the history of in Rock and Roll Heaven's hundred plus episodes. I think it, that's that's top two or three. It is. <laughs>
3: Big mountain fudge
4: cake. Big uh, mountain fudge cake. In two thousand one, Petty remarried wedding dana york now per the bane the zane's biography she helped him kick his heroin addiction they actually met backstage at one of his concerts in 1991 but then reconnected many many years later their wedding was presided over by and i guess this qualifies as a fun fact, fun fact. little richard that's pretty awesome how do you get little richard to do your wedding that's that's amazing. i don't know but he's apparently an ordained minister or preacher of some kind so he uh, officiated over the wedding
2: We actually, uh, if you watch the Hill Harper, how it happened, I think that's what it's called. It's something like that. If I'm getting it wrong, I'm sorry. Or Harper Hill. Uh, But he did a documentary on Tom Petty and that they have the photo
3: of that wedding. Yes, awesome. (laughs) That sounds awesome. It is one of the greatest things you'll ever see in your life. It's kind of what you're envisioning, only better. Yeah,
4: so Tom became the stepfather to uh, his new wife's son, Dylan, as well. Away from music, Tom's daughter, Adria Petty, said her dad was pretty laid back. He left a small town in Florida to come to the big city of Los Angeles, but she said he pretty much liked to hang out around the house and not do much of anything. Hmm. She described him as a voracious reader. If he was interested in the subject, he would read every book available on it. So Elvis and the JFK assassination, anything he was mildly interested in, he'd sit down and read 300 pages on it, she said. He loved art of all kinds and was a film buff. Adria said he loved old movies, but newer movies too. He was apparently moderately obsessive about coffee In a story that didn't make the Zanes book, but was published by Rolling Stone. The writer said that when coffee came up in one of their discussions, Tom lit up and held forth like he normally only did when talking about the Beatles, Dylan, or the birds. He claimed to have had, quote, the perfect cup of coffee in a diner somewhere in Los Angeles and inquired about how it had been made. He was told what variety of coffee machine they used, that they used a fairly common coffee brand, like it was either like Maxwell House or Folgers, I think uh uh-huh. but but that it was important to measure precise amounts level them and to use exactly the right amount of water and that the water had to be chilled huh. so he bought this went out and bought this exact kind of coffee machine and used cold water and leveled everything because he he was obsessive about coffee
3: apparently Interesting.
4: tom remained a fan of music and adrius said that people might be shocked if they knew all the stuff he listened to on the show Speakeasy with Jane Lynn White in 1999 promoting the Echo album, he mentioned that he really liked the then new release from Madonna, Ray of Light.
3: I actually really enjoy that album. I would have liked that song, except when it came out, I was working at Applebee's. And it was one of those things on the you know to the <laughs> yep. desk, where they, they have a soundtrack for the store it's the apple right.
2: soundtrack yep. and it's and if
3: you work there you will go through the entire thing in your first like hour on the shift so cool. yeah. it got real old after a couple of weeks so does that Honestly. so does the
4: same the same bunch of songs just play like over and over yeah pretty yeah. much like, same, like hour of
3: because it, it's time to be the average length of the diner is there so if you're working there you're just here at nine oh, million see, times you, a day oh to, god yeah that
2: was sick because we at least had applebee's radio
4: oh, yeah, so
2: we would have our choice of like you know like lounge or chill or upbeat or today's hits and you would choose that and it was always be set on today's hits except for at dinner it was set on uh, quicker music so that they would eat faster so we could have a bigger turnover at dinner
3: I don't know if we just had lazy managers, but Ray of Light was played ad nauseum <laughs> during my, my time at Applebee's.
4: My only real restaurant experience was working in a fish camp in a trailer, so they probably just played like Hank Jr.
3: Did that qualify as a restaurant?
4: Barely. <laughs> barely a fish camp in a trailer in buffalo south carolina just barely uh, sounds like a classy joint um uh, now in an interview from around 2014 tom said he didn't have the highest opinion of a lot of current music noting that in many cases people weren't listening to musicians at all but computers when asked why he favored the quote live on the floor approach to recording he said he didn't know why anyone would do it any other way Hmm. When the response came that most people don't do it that way anymore, he said, quote, because they can't play. Huh. Wow. In 2013, he stirred up a little controversy by saying that modern country music was nothing but, quote, bad rock with a fiddle. Wow. Quote, he said, quote, I hate to generalize on a whole genre of music, but it does seem to be missing that magic element that it used to have. Hmm. I'm sure there are people playing country that are doing it well, but they're just not getting the attention that the shittier stuff gets. <laughs> I don't I don't really see a George Jones or Buck Owens or anything that fresh coming up," he said.
3: It's amazing how the lyrical mastery doesn't only happen in song. It happens in just conversation with folks. And Tom. just I his think.
4: general conversations.
3: Now, he didn't name
4: anyone in particular in that interview, but Florida Georgia Line saw fit to respond to Tom on Twitter, saying, <laughs> "Quote you think we care? as boys! Oh, oh, no. Back, back okay. up, guys. Nice. Two okay, two things. Nice. One, yeah. Two things. One, I, I'm going to give them a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. I think somebody tweeted that quote or the story at them. Okay. I don't think that was unsolicited. But guys, know your place.
3: <laughs> yeah, you, you walk You're away Florida Georgia line. line. He's Tom Petty. Yeah. Need, need we say more?
4: <laughs> right. You're hamburger helper. He's filet mignon. <laughs> You're not the same thing. You're not the same people.
3: I think they're more like Tuna Helper, but anyway. Right.
4: Not even right. Not yeah. even not even the good stuff. Not, and, you know, not, what, not even Tuna H- H- Helper. <laughs> whatever the Dollar General store brand version of Tuna Helper is.
3: The variant where the hand has <laughs> like four <Right>. fingers. <laughs> I think it only has four right. fingers anyway. Well, there's so less fingers three. than it's supposed <laughs> <laughs> to. Point is it's Tom Petty, damn it.
4: Yeah. Catfish <laughs> booster. The point is or no. Some, or whatever the whatever whatever the whatever the dollar general version. Scrapple helper. Scrapple helper, yes. That's it. Um, And at the time, mostly unknown songwriter very politely responded to Tom in a letter saying that he respected Petty very much and invited him to come write or record a song with him. Now, Tom did not take him up on that, but on his final tour, he did bring that artist, a guy you probably have heard of named Chris Stapleton, along as an opening act.
3: No kidding.
4: Yep. So you had Florida Georgia Lion tweeting whatever the hell they tweeted. But then you had Chris Stapleton actually writing him like a polite letter and saying, look, I, I respect you very much. Wildflowers is one of my absolute favorite albums ever. You're one of my, you're one of the biggest influences of my career. But hey, there are a lot of us that are doing it right, and if you don't believe that, you know, come write or record a song with me. And Dude, Tom didn't you take it. him up on that, but, but he did take him out as an act on his final tour, which I thought was pretty cool.
3: That is pretty awesome.
4: Yeah. yeah. Tom loathed, and I mean loathed, MP3s, <laughs> saying, that saying the sound quality was a joke and that listeners were only hearing about 5% of what he heard. He favored the slight distortion of analog recording, but he allowed that digital technology made mixing a song which could have taken days before an hours-long exercise and said that he liked that convenience. Personally speaking, uh, Tom despised greed and said that was largely uh, what was responsible for killing rock and roll and the music industry, which he said he, quote, watched commit suicide. Oh, wow. His thoughts on that were expounded upon at length on the album The Last DJ, by the way. He said radio never took chances anymore and had boiled playlists down to, quote, the lowest common denominator. Speaking of radio, Tom had his own channel on Sirius XM, which continues to this day. Uh, it's channel 31, I believe, and he hosted a show on there called Buried Treasures. Hmm. We know that rock stars often have ele- elaborate riders on their concert contracts. Tom Tom had some riders, but he did not go the Van Halen, Brown Eminem route. His rider stipulated that no plastic or styrofoam coat, uh, cups were to be used in the backstage area.
3: Huh, interesting.
4: Tom, an environmentalist, also allowed Greenpeace to set up tables at his concerts. Very late in his life, he did become a vegetarian for, he said, environmental reasons, though he said he couldn't go full vegan, showing that he's a man after my own heart. He said the only thing he really missed after becoming a vegetarian, quote, was barbecued.
3: I mean, yeah, let's be honest here. (laughs) Right.
4: I mean, way back in 1979, he was among the many artists to perform at the No Nukes concert in Madison Square Garden. A funny moment from that was captured in the History of Rock and Roll documentary uh, from about 20, 25 years ago. Bruce Springsteen was on the bill and he was playing after Tom was. Now, the boss was basically on his home turf and he was a couple of years further along in his career than tom petty at that point mm-hmm. so it was explained to tom that if he heard what he thought were booze he should realize it was actually just the crowd screaming bruce tom's <laughs> response what's the difference whoa wait a second well i think his point is if they're screaming for somebody else they might as well be booing uh, well okay i can see that i, I thought it was a plan yeah, no, I, I, get- I don't think i don't think he was taking a shot at bruce he's like Eh, Boo, Bruce, either one of those, they're... They're,
3: and they're not happy to see him. Yeah. They're not digging what I'm doing. What, yeah, exactly. What's the
4: difference? Um, he was very cool about instances of folks lifting his songs. It has been noted that Danny California sounds an awful lot like Mary Jane Slash Stats. It does. Yeah. yeah. Tom said, quote, The truth is, I seriously doubt that there is any negative intent there. I don't believe in lawsuits much. I think there are enough frivolous lawsuits in this country without people fighting over pop songs. He said he would only likely sue if there was a blatant note-for-note ripoff. Um, possibly related to the last couple of words I just said, in 2015, he and Jeff Lynn were both given co-writing credit and 12.5% each of songwriting royalties for Sam Smith's Stay With Me. Because that was thievery. <laughs> wait, wait they, they wrote that? They didn't write it. If you've ever, You can find this on YouTube. where where people take that you can if you take i want back down and slow it down to about half speed or take stay with me and about double time it the 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 everything matches up it's the same tune the same melody like everything this
2: this has made the this has made a couple lists and yes and listening to them back to back as opposed to like trying to remember them in your head it does sound Wow. Eerily similar.
3: I'm gonna have to experiment with that.
4: It goes it goes beyond eerily similar. I mean it's 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 they're very close. There was not actually that ever actually went to court. It was it was settled. And Tom said to Rolling Stone all my years of songwriting have shown me that these things can happen. It's a musical accident, no more, no less. So even then, he wasn't really holding a grudge or anything. Okay. Now, as he got a little older, Tom did develop an interest in sports. He became a huge LA Lakers fan and was often gifted courtside seats by Jack Nicholson. Oh, I'm, wow. sure those, I'm sure I'm sure Jack's seats suck. Uh, he's he terrible. I bet mean, his seats are terrible.
3: He, he's, I mean, he's had those seats for, oh, geez, decades, I mean. And he's right. He's like, a, he's like, like a foot from the bench isn't he? he's right re- yeah he talks to the players directly <laughs>
4: yeah. yeah directly during the games and stuff Tom's brother Bruce said that he also kept up with the University of Florida football and basketball teams originally and you'll find this interesting LD because this is something we talked about early in this series Tom thought his voice was quote a curse because it didn't sound like that of a typical rock singer eventually he came to realize it was a blessing because it was different. It was distinctive and it made him stand out.
3: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah, Yeah. no, and that's that's the thing. I don't like, I'm gonna say something that's probably gonna get me a lot of blowback and hate. I don't like your standard male voice. I think that men are held to a much different standard than women are when it comes to vocals. So the ones that I like are like, this is gonna get me eaten alive. Michael Buble, I love his voice voice i love his tone that he has to his voice it's just beautiful and clear and i love people like of course freddie mercury david bowie these people with unique voices that's well, what you I have said before days. one
4: of you have you've said on this podcast before one of your favorite male vocalists ever is bond scott
2: oh god yeah like if you if, if I, I, I voted voted. Day and day. <laughs> you literally just said two words in a tone that was like bond yeah. And I knew immediately what you were going for. It's just not even non—it's nonsensical words, but you know who I'm going for. Right. And they've—it's just they've made a mark with their vocals, and and I think that Tom has that.
5: Tom for has sure. that, that sure.
2: vocal. There's—it's there, he's kind of like a, a male Dusty. Hmm. He's got kind of something into his voice that's like gritty, grainy, but still so pure and beautiful.
4: Pure. I, I, I love Toms I love Tom's voice, and I, I think it's an underrated voice. It's not it, it's, it's you said earlier in the series, Will, he's not going to hit these crazy, ridiculous notes like Freddie Mercury or Chris Cornell or somebody no. but there's there's a versatility to his voice and a pliability to do some to do some different things that are very cool and I just like the, the unique tone of his voice. Personally, I know that you like eccentricities, LD. Tom actually stopped driving in 2003.
2: Good for him. Winona Ryder never learned.
4: (laughs) This is crazy. Now, (laughs) he, he, wife, Dana, and a friend of hers were going to dinner. He had to run an errand first, and as he drove on the Pacific Coast Highway, he saw three silver balls flying in the air surrounded by helicopters. He was convinced that he'd seen UFOs. He went back and got Dana and her friend and brought them to sea. What they saw were three large silver balloons floating over the home of Dick Clark, which was serving as the site of Adam Sandler's wedding that day.
3: What? (laughs) What is happening?
4: He He dinged one car on that drive, and he hit another, and that was just kind of the end of him driving. He just stopped. Adam Sandler was getting married at Dick Clark's house. Tom figures that he was floating some giant balloons overhead to obscure the view of things to the paparazzi helicopters.
2: <laughs> that that makes sense people do that a lot i think tom yeah. the same thing but seriously i can't wait to get old enough to do crazy things and people are just like oh she's old
4: yeah she's <laughs> old that's
3: quaint
2: i mean grandma hit that point where we were just like oh grandma you're just
3: old yeah you're old and, and then there's billy Joel <laughs> right and <Right. Then> there <laughs> are some people who then there's there's some people who, should,
4: who really who
3: should stop driving yeah,
4: yeah billy joel or should or should never have been given a license to begin with.
2: Billy Joel has wound up in more people's living rooms yep. than Dick Clark has. <laughs> Probably. Yep.
4: <laughs> a member of Lucinda Williams's band said that they were opening for Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers and were playing in New York on this particular tour. They were staying in the Hamptons, and as an avid foodie, this guy was really looking forward to going out to a nice restaurant, having an expensive top-end meal, and washing it down with some pricey wine. Instead, as he prepared to leave his hotel room and go to dinner, Tom called his room. He said he and the Heartbreakers and some of his road crew had pulled the buses around back of the hotel. They had a grill and were going to cook hamburgers, hot dogs, have a beer and smoke a joint. He invited Uh him to come hang out. So he never got that $5 meal he was dreaming of, instead eating hamburgers and hot dogs with Tom Petty and Mike Campbell. He said that Tom and the Heartbreakers were the nicest, most down-to-earth guys that he had ever met. Wow. Daughter, Adria Petty, said her dad felt a responsibility to take care of his road crew. Many worked their entire careers with Tom and then were replaced by their own children, she said. Jeez. Tom was an advocate of legalizing marijuana. Shocker. Yeah, and Thanks, and said pal. he'd and said he'd had quote a pipeline to the green stuff since he was seventeen years old. I guess this qualifies as a fun fact. Fun, fun fact. fact. It's kind of a weird fact, actually, or an interesting fact. It's something. Apparently, any time that Tom Petty went to Washington D.C., he would go to the Jefferson Memorial, smoke a joint, and just sit there.
3: For some reason, that makes a lot of sense, and yeah. I can't pinpoint why.
4: Yeah, <laughs> I I don't know what, but Tom would go to the he he loved to go to the Jefferson Memorial. He smoked one somehow without getting taught and he would just kind of sit there.
3: Well, here's the thing. If you're the Capitol police, you see Tom Petty smoking a joint, do you want to be the guy who arrests Tom Petty? Well, like thing? like the cop,
4: like the cop in Louisiana that pulled Willie Nelson's bus over and, and right. ar- arrested him for marijuana possession. I'm like, Well, how did you crack that case, Sherlock? <laughs> there's weed, yeah. there's weed on Willie Nelson's bus. No shit. <laughs>
2: Oh, uh, guys! Willie, yeah, um, it, not
4: just does Willie not have a get out of jail free card on that? I mean, it's Willie.
2: It's Will. It's like Snoop and Willie, Tom. Who else can get away with it? Dr. Dre. That's about it. Smoking weed. But yeah,
4: that like I mean, you don't you don't arrest Willie Nelson. Yeah, come on. Good
3: I mean, he's, got,
2: he's gotten high on the roof of the <laughs> oh, White the House. House, like, House. like right. the place where just the snipers go. I mean, right. Um, by That's the way, right. by the way, we uh, we have breaking news. Okay. Breaking news! Stevie Nicks has now canceled all of her 2021 concerts.
3: Uh, why?
2: Probably because of Delta.
3: Oh, jeez. Yep,
2: citing COVID concerns.
5: Wow, uh,
4: bummer. Um, interesting an interesting Stevie would come up during a series on Tom. They were such close friends. yes yes
2: that's um, why I brought, that's why i brought it up that's the only reason yeah. i brought
4: it up tom smoked cigarettes for most of his life in regards to smoking restrictions he said he understood some but said not allowing it in parks or bars was quote yuppie bullshit <laughs> he felt people were losing their humanity and were growing meaner more self-centered and were willing to step on others for money, fame, or power, which dismayed him. He was not a self-promoter. And when once asked why he thought he wasn't viewed in the same light as people like Dylan Springsteen or Paul Simon, he said that he'd never thought about it and just tried to do his best and added, quote, Who the hell is Dylan? Shakespeare pales in comparison in my book. (laughs) Interesting. He He thought awards were silly and subjective wondering how anyone could determine that one piece of art was better than another. When he received the ASCAP lifetime achievement award, he was humbled since that was something that came from his peers. He confessed to being overwhelmed when he was named the Grammy music cares person of the year, just before his death, which honors both creative achievement and philanthropic work. And Tom did a lot of both. And on the, um, he didn't get the, he isn't viewed the same way some of his contemporaries are. In my opinion, he should be, and it really just shows how irrelevant critics are. Because if you don't have time amongst the other people that I just said, then you're an idiot <laughs> who Pretty knows much, nothing yeah. about music. Pretty much. I mean, you. I mean, you don't have to love a person's music to, to be able to go like. But you know, look, not, not my mug of beer necessarily, but I can acknowledge they're incredibly talented. I don't. I'm not. A, no well i know you are i am not a massive paul simon fan by any stretch of the imagination but Mm -hmm. it would be silly for me to sit here and say that he's not talented he's not one of the greatest songwriters ever that he's put out some of the greatest just tons of great music his his catalog is pristine and wonderful and he deserves every honor he's ever received I I, I, i would be it would be silly for me to argue otherwise but it's silly for anybody to argue the same against Tom. I agree, and I read one theory who said that, and there may be some validity to this. Critics a lot of times are a little twitchy about people who have lots of actual hits, and we have you. You listen to the catalog of songs that we have played of Tom's, and look at the songs that we've left out. I could name fifty <laughs> kind of like great songs off the top of my head. He had a, a bajillion hit songs. And a lot of the people that were who I just included in that list really have and that a lot of times critics get suspicious of, oh, well, that's the stuff the masses listen to. The the dirty fingernails crowd drive around drive around in their little transams listening to that, that that you know, that, that rabble music or whatever. And it's like, yeah, no, that just because you write hit songs doesn't mean that you're that there's that you're somehow lesser than somebody who's a little oh, he's sophisticated. The commenters don't get don't really get Dylan. That's why he didn't have, you know, Tom had more hits than any of those people I just said.
3: Yeah. And it's, I think that fine line between being critical and being contrarian. And I feel like Mm -hmm. there's a a tendency to pull towards the latter, just again, try to stir things up. Sure.
4: In 2010, Tom and the Heartbreakers released another album. It was their first in eight years. It was called Mojo. It was a departure as the band produced a straight up blues album for the first time. In 2014, they followed up with their final studio album. Hard to believe, but their final studio album, the critically praised Hypnotic Eye. The album debuted at number one on the Billboard albums chart, becoming Tom's first ever album to hit number one on the Billboard album chart, which I I found hard to believe. I went back and researched that, like double-checked everything. Hypnotic Eye was the first Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers album to hit number one.
3: That's insane.
4: Damn the Torpedoes was held out of number two for like six, seven, eight weeks by the yeah. wall. Pink Floyd. Wilburys volume one, I think, got to number two. Wildflowers got to number three. Uh-huh. Full Moon Favor got to number two. This was a rep- – Echo was top ten.
3: He was knocking on the door. I mean
4: – Uh, repeatedly and got to number two like an absurd number of times but never got to number one so hypnotic i was the first tom petty and the heartbreakers album to hit number one mojo had hit number two so did damn the torpedoes uh tom's greatest hits album hit number two and the wilburys album did so it was actually like he had four albums that hit number two but never got to number one until that one um we're gonna hear one song from that one before we arrive at the inevitable end of of things, which I think everybody knows how these episodes end, unfortunately, eventually. Uh, Now, this one has a little bit of a leftover blues vibe from Mojo. You're going to notice that Tom's voice is a little different, but you have to keep in mind that at this point he was in his 60s and he was not one for using studio technology to sweeten the sound of anything. So uh, we're going to hear one song from Hypnotic Eye, probably not the best known one. I think Fault Lines is probably one most people would remember from Hypnotic Eye. This, this kind of gives us a, a, a way to cheat and kind of hear a vibe from the Mojo album, but also listen to something from Hypnotic Eye. This is a song uh, I really like called Burnout Town.
6: that you look so down
4: all right what y'all think of that one
2: i it's dirty and i love it that is the yeah. kind of music that just would i would put on sit on my front porch in a rocking chair and i would even indulge in a beer
4: oh wow yeah
2: that's just that so nice you music. so
4: you would you would break your drinking uh thing for for that song heck yeah powerful yep i really like that one and it kind of gives you a like i said the vibe of the that mojo blues album but let you hear something from Hypnotic Eye at the same time. I I just I really like that. There are a couple that are better known on that album, but that's probably my favorite. In late 2016, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers launched a 40th anniversary tour. He talked in some interviews about how difficult crafting a set list could be. Really? Really, Tom? Yeah, we don't <laughs> sympathize with you. You don't say. <laughs> um, he didn't want to be a, quote, nostalgia act or a, quote, jukebox and just play his biggest hits. Still... He knew that fans wanted to hear them, so he gave them a long list of their favorites but mixed in some new or lesser-known songs as well and sometimes altered the playlist to keep things fresh. They did 44 dates, played in front of nearly 700,000 fans, and grossed $61 million in ticket sales. Wow. In the first series I did this year, I noted that Van Halen played its final show at the Hollywood Bowl. Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers finished the tour with three nights there. The last night Tom Petty played on stage came in the encore of the third night when he and the boys closed with American Girl. That was their second ever single and came from their first ever album. Unfortunately, that would end up representing a full circle moment. Now, You will read in clickbaity articles that Tom had predicted it would be their final show or their final tour or some variation thereof. That's actually not accurate. Tom had said it would likely be the band's last ever big tour. When asked about quitting in his final interview conducted with the LA Times just days before his death, Tom said, quote, why would we quit? Hmm. He said the band was probably better than it had ever been. He did tire of traveling. He wanted to spend more time with his granddaughter and had other projects he wanted to work on. He talked about producing an upcoming album by the band The Shelters, and had just recently produced an album by Chris Hillman, formerly of The Birds. He, in fact, had plans to revive a previous work and was trying to figure out how to present it in concert, and we will talk about that a little bit later. The project, though not a live presentation of it, would be completed three years later, but Tom would sadly not be around to see it. Tom did say the band would stop if one of the members was to die or suffer a serious illness. And unfortunately, that would happen just days after he said it. On October 2nd, just one week after his final concert, Tom was found unconscious in his home. He was not breathing and was in cardiac arrest. He was resuscitated and rushed to UCLA Medical Center. There were reports that he was brain dead and on life support. And CBS News prematurely jumped the gun and reported his death hours before he actually passed away. Oof. Drawing the sternest rebuke you can imagine from his daughter, Well, I thought not y'all ever saw that. No, no, but, I thought
2: that was Rolling Stone magazine. Um, I,
4: I had thought, CBS, I, it, may have, it may have been more than one person. It may have, there may have been more than one source that quoted it early.
2: I want to say- That said that early. Yeah, I want to say that I, I remember her railing against- How what a crap magazine that Rolling Stone was. Then maybe they
4: maybe they jumped the gun too.
2: Yeah, that's
4: entirely possible. I
2: remember that because I was like, yeah, they they were pretty bad, you know. After they put the picture of Arne Sarnayev, I think that was his name, the Boston one of the Boston Marathon bombers, in like in like a light vignette filter with like sparkles on it, and I'm like, what the hell are you doing, Rolling Stone?
4: yeah that's so after trash. that i was
2: like yeah you're a trash magazine
4: now sorry you're tra- you're you're trash you're trash and you suck yeah as the day turned into night tom was surrounded by his family his musical brothers and some friends at 8 40 p.m pacific time on october 2nd the world got a little meaner a little darker and a little bit uglier thomas earl petty passed away he was just 66 years old <sighs> A medical examiner determined the death to be an accidental overdose of fentanyl, oxycodone, a sedative, and an antidepressant. His family revealed that he was dealing with emphysema, problematic knees, and a fractured hip. In his final interview, he'd actually mentioned the hip and said that he may have to get it replaced. All of the drugs in his system had been prescribed, and he'd apparently been told on the day of his death by a doctor that the hip problem had worsened. Quote, It is our feeling that the pain was simply unbearable and was the cause of his overuse of the medication was a family statement. His wife, Dana, said later that Petty's doctors had recommended that he have surgery on the hip for a long time, but that he had it in his mind. He owed it to his fans and his crew to finish the tour. So there are people who say that Tom almost essentially killed himself for his fans. I've read that in multiple places, that rather than come off the road have whatever you know hip replacement or whatever surgery he needed he's like, nope, I owe it to them gotta go finish
2: and the thing is if you if you watch the footage, there's somebody who took a video I don't know if it was a professional video or you know, if somebody was just at the concert and took a video but if you watch him wave goodbye, you can see him limp off the stage at the yeah. he's and it's you can tell like something is wrong
4: and and I would tell you um I remember cause this was twenty seventeen. So this is after the slaughter of sixteen when so many all timers had passed away. Yeah. You learned that if someone's name was trending on Twitter, it was probably bad news. Or that was at least the vibe you got. Yep. And I remember I was sitting in my office and I looked at Twitter and Tom Petty's name was trending and I was like, Oh god, I'm scared to click this. And I did, and I my my fears were realized unfortunately, and he was I saw not responsive in the hospital, possibly brain dead. I had to then leave my office to go do an interview, I think with a volleyball team, okay? At the, like, literally the moment I was walking out of my office is when whoever jumped the gun and said that he was dead. So I walked to my car thinking that Tom was already dead. I got in my car and I'm already bummed enough as it is because I'm you know a huge Tom Petty fan. This was one of the rare celebrity deaths that actually like punched me in the gut a little bit. I get in my car, put the key in the ignition, crank it up and whatever radio station i had it on was playing as good to be king and i was like damn it no. <laughs> i have now i have to go interview whoever i probably zombie walked through that it was probably they were probably like god what was that guy's problem <laughs> <laughs> by the time i you know by the time i finished but that that that's how that unfolded unfortunately wow his death was actually the second big blow to the musical world in a very short period of time. And I'd actually forgotten this until I started doing the research. One day earlier was the horrific shooting at the Outdoor Country Music Concert in Las Vegas. Oh, wow. There was an outpouring in regards to both. Cheryl Crow said, quote, this is unbearable. Vegas and now a great music hero has passed. You brought us so much joy. Tom Petty will miss you. John Mayer said on Twitter, quote, I love Tom Petty and I covered his songs because I wanted to know how it felt to fly. Ezra Coning called Free Fall and, quote, truly one of the greatest pieces of American art. Sir Elton John called Tom, quote, irreplaceable and unique and said his to- songs were, quote, timeless. Carol King said, quote, my heart goes out to all the people affected by the horrible shooting in Las Vegas and to the family, friends, and fans of Tom Petty, of which I am one. And then, uh, LD? Yeah. Uh, and please tell me if I butcher this guy's name. Lin-Manuel Miranda? Lin-Manuel Miranda. He offered, quote, I am so grateful for Tom Petty's music. Feels selfish to want more, but I always will.
2: Oh, wow. Nice.
4: His former bandmate and producer Jeff Lynn called Tom, quote, the coolest person he ever met. Bruce Springsteen said he was, quote, devastated and heartbroken and said he'd always felt a deep kinship with Tom's music. Eric Idle said, quote, a kinder, sweeter, and more gentle man you could not know. Uh But maybe the most poignant tribute came from John Mellencamp, who I think borrowed this quote, from somebody else but it was it, it was perfectly placed quote he was a certain kind of bird that had no legs so that he could never land on this earth he lived his whole life in the sky and now he will spread his wings and he'll sleep on the wind his name is written in the stars at its next show Coldplay paused for a moment of silence in honor of tom and then was joined on stage by peter buck for a rendition of free Fallin'
3: nice wow.
4: and i want you to listen to the cross section of artists i'm about to say musical tributes were paid at other concerts in the following days by bob dylan jimmy buffett foo fighters lady a the killers hanson kesha a joint performance by dave matthews steve Earle, emilu harris and patty griffin wow john fogarty miley and billy ray cyrus imagine dragons the avett brothers chris stapleton robert earl keen and fleetwood mac
2: you know what you, you didn't did i miss a, did,
4: I, did i miss a bass? like you, did we touch every single base that there is
2: i don't <laughs> think you did i don't think you did hip-hop but but damn that's a wow. list. Like, yeah. but i mean like the thing is if you if you if, like the only one that shocked me was imagine dragons that was the only one I that I was like, so. huh, or, or Hanson, but Hanson. they had the same hair as Tom Petty. So well, they all did. Yeah.
4: <laughs> the thing that kept, the one, the only one, the one that really told me was Kesha. Yeah. Kesha has the same hair as Tom Petty. The, okay, same hair. I, I, I'll grant you. Okay, granted. Now, I, I read that list. The last name that I read was Fleetwood Mac. The latter contained his friend of nearly 40 years, Stevie Nicks, who said that she would likely never get over his death. Jason Aldean, who I believe was the artist on stage at the time of the Las Vegas shooting. Yes, it was. Appeared on Saturday Night Live that week and did an acoustic version of I Won't Back Down. For me, though, the best tribute was one that was largely spontaneous. Now, if you go back to the very beginning of this episode, I painted you a picture of a giant stadium full of folks singing along with Tom Petty. And you probably thought that was a scene from one of his concerts, but it wasn't. Five days after his passing, Tom's hometown Florida Gators were playing host to LSU at Ben Hill Griffin Stadium. The school decided to honor Gainesville's favorite son and a former member of the school's ground crew. So a decision was made to play, I won't back down between the third and fourth quarters. As they did, something happened. People started to clap along. Then an ever growing number started singing along By the time the song reached its chorus, 90,000 football fans strong stood and shouted at the top of its lungs. Hey, baby, there ain't no easy way out. Tell you what, let's actually hear a little clip of that right now.
2: I want to know who the eleven people are on that video that disliked that.
3: Yeah, okay. you are you are wrong. Everything you so, do is bad, are, wrong, and awful. You
2: are wrong. You are wrong. Go go to your local community college and sign up for a class
3: so you can get an education. Because clearly you're stupid. I would say go to some kind of religious figure because clearly your soul has been removed and it must be returned to you. You need
2: Jesus. Yeah. Eleven people that dislike yeah, that video, or, or
3: Buddha, or a rabbi, or somebody, something. Yeah. Okay, Travis, you? Good? I
4: was. You used to say we're back. I'm sorry. Uh, oh no, we, no we, we were just yelling. Right we, we just were, started yelling. We we're yelling at the clowns <laughs> who dislike that video. Oh, yeah, okay.
2: Eleven people dislike that.
4: Those eleven people have no souls. I, I don't yeah, know what to yeah. tell you. Yeah. If you can watch, if you watch ninety thousand people rise as one and saying, "I won't back down." And your, your thought is, you know, thumbs down. You're just a douche weasel. You have don't have an opinion that I care about <laughs> on any topic or subject.
2: They actually had to go to their computer and
4: push a button. Mm. To voice their dislike of that. How could you dislike that? I, I, what? I, I, what?
3: What they have done is bad, wrong, and awful.
4: <laughs> it's bad, wrong, and awful in every way. But Eat that began sparks. a new tradition. <laughs> oh. Along with We Are the Boys of Old Florida, I Won't Back Down is now played at every Florida Gators football game. Nice. It should not go unnoticed that when they played it that first time, they did so at homecoming. And that was appropriate because Tom had gone home. Aww. Now, that is normally where we would end a series at the death of an artist and me making LD cry. <laughs> In this, case, in this case, though, there was a project Tom wanted to see completed, and it would be, but in his absence. His life was over, but there was one untold chapter that had to be completed, and we're going to get to that in part five. So I'm going to let LD do the socials, and then we'll get out of here.
2: Okay, I've got to like, look up our socials, but I will say in the meantime that uh, I am still doing the casting for American Idol, so if you're interested <laughs> in doing that, you can reach out to me. If you have a vocalist in the age range of 15 to 28 that would be interested in auditioning for American Idol, you can email me at linley.erlich at Idol.com. That is L-Y-N-L-Y dot E-H-R-L-I-C-H at americanidol dot com. So for our other social stuff, you can throw a coin to your witcher at patreon.com backslash rock and roll heaven. If you're interested in uh, throwing uh, some cash our way, you can find us on Twitter at Rock and roll LT, our Instagram. Unless you're
4: one of the 11 people who, who uh, didn't like that video, I don't want your money. You saw Yeah,
2: no, no, we don't We don't need that. We don't need your blood money. <laughs> uh, if you want to come play with us on Instagram, we love it over there. And that's at Rock and Roll Heaven LT. Our Facebook is Rock and Roll Heaven Pod. We also run wild over there. Still not saying our website. You can email us, rock and rollheavenlt at gmail.com. And you can check out all of the other awesome Pantheon podcasts at pantheonpodcast.com.
4: and we have gotten a ton of feedback on this series so far please keep it coming we love it it like it dislike it you want to participate in our lists um any of the stuff we're doing we we love hearing from you and we we have a lot on this series and we just keep it coming we love hearing from you guys thank you
2: yeah we really is just it's an awesome thing that you know even that a running joke became a real thing and and, they found us and they found us (laughs) and like the fact that I can wake up and and see that you guys are sending us messages and commenting on pictures, that really means a lot to us. We really love that engagement. The, and this, yes.
4: this has been about the most feedback I, I, we've ever gotten on a series since oh. I've joined, anyway. Yeah. Uh, this this yes. one is really, really. Uh, we've gotten a lot of people, um, and, and we we a lot of things are very interesting. I, I didn't realize how much people like Mudcrutch. So. Mm-hmm um lesson learned there did not know how much people love jeff lynn they do and i'm getting the the, the other thing that was a little odd for me is we've had some people send us their will brichette list and we'll read a couple of those in our next episode uh because this one's already a little long but how much people tend to skew toward his later work Mm. loving it um if you go back and listen to even the ones that we did and that uh penelope and mark did and the ones we've gotten. I was about the only one I think LD maybe picked one. I was the only person otherwise to pick a Tom Petty song that came out before about full moon fever.
2: I, I picked um, I picked love you here, picked, you picked
4: one older one I picked here, Somebody I picked love. the waiting and you picked but outside that it was but I also think that shows how vital Tom remained for a very long period of time mm-hmm. that he was still making amazing great music. Twenty plus years into a career which is not a thing most people do so i think that's more a tribute to his longevity and how long he put out great music than anything else really but thank but thank you everybody keep it coming we love hearing from you
2: so uh from all of us here at rock and roll heaven to all you guys out there thank you so much for checking us out make sure to check us out next week where we will be buttoning up the series on the late the great tom petty now, I should say that after this week, it was going to be passing the torch over to Will the Thrill, mm-hmm. where he is going to dip his toe into the life of Jim Croce. Yes. So apparently, I have been told that I probably shouldn't even be there at the end. So I might
5: actually step
2: away. I don't know. <laughs> um, and if you guys are wondering why I stepped away at the last episode, it was because there's a new kind of scam out there. I actually had to take care of my my banking because uh, someone had scammed thousand dollars out of my bank account, so that's why I wasn't in uh, part three.
4: You never you required guys, attention. Well, yeah. you were you were there. You just you left for like a really long time,
2: and then I came back. <laughs> I came it's, home because
4: because the, there may have been a uh, there may have been a sense from listeners that it turned into a real sausage party for about an hour. There was, <laughs> <laughs> there was the reason uh ld somebody stole money from her and she went and kicked their ass and got it back And that's yep. that's pretty much how that went
2: that's that's exactly what happened right. also don't ask about the burning car on the 101 i'm i have nothing to do with that i know anyway knew. you guys have a great week we will see you guys next time will would you like to say something to the audience
3: i absolutely would thank you guys for coming with us on this journey we got more great episodes coming up including the final one on tom petty you guys rock we'll see you next time all right passing it back to ut all
4: right uh, so we do have one uh, part left in this one. I told you this this series is a little different. We didn't start at the beginning and we don't end at the end necessarily. Uh, but I think you'll like what we've got coming up next week. And it it, it, it manages, it, it allows us to end this series not on a gigantic downer, which it would if we stopped now. <laughs> so I, I didn't want to do that. So we got one more part. Hope you'll listen to that one. In the meantime, we're going to close this episode with another absolute Tom Petty classic. This is I Won't Back Down.